watch him closely. What's the secret, Meg? You just gotta find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Welcome to The Establishing Shot, a podcast where we do deep dives into directors and their filmographies. We are here on episode 18 of the podcast, and uh, this is the third episode of our Christopher Nolan series, um, jumping into his uh, second film, uh, sort of, I guess, his breakout in a way, um, which is uh, Memento. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to jump into this one. Uh, we have a new guest on the show today, uh, Phil, Philip, uh, Marinello. I, I didn't ask you how to pronounce your yeah, last nope, name. Marinello, you got it. Yes. Nailed it. Um, but yeah, uh, Philip is, uh, uh, he has a podcast, uh, of his own with, uh, with some other guys, uh, called, uh, the substance podcast. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, Philip, I'm excited to have you on. Uh, you want to share a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do, maybe a little bit about the podcast? Sure. Yeah. No, uh, The Substance. And thanks for the invite, by the way, Eli. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, The Substance, we are a biweekly show in the – technically, I think we're in the faith and spirituality category, but a lot of it is – it's a variety show, meaning we've got a number of different types of episodes, and it's various topics related to faith, culture, the arts. Um, we have a regular series on film, which is very mm -hmm. much, uh, um, kind of down this alley here called substantive cinema. Um, we've been blessed to have several cool guests on that. Uh, listeners may recognize some of those folks. Yeah. The last two guests we had on substantive cinema were actually letterbox employees and those were both. Yeah. I saw that a blast. Um, uh, but yeah, no love movies have loved movies from a very young age. Um, uh, Chris, <laughs> Chris Nolan fan. We can get into that. I have been interested in Chris Nolan and aware of him since before Memento came out. Uh, I didn't see following before Memento, but somehow, I don't know if I read it in a film magazine or on message boards or where, but I remember the hype surrounding Memento before it came out. So I was, yeah. I was on the websites. I was reading the interviews. If they were like terrible 260p videos on the internet, I was probably watching those. <laughs> I was I was all about Memento before it came out, and when it finally came out, that was uh, that was a special time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was um what was kind of like your your journey into loving film? Was that something like you got into as a kid or high school, college? No, that, that was. Kind that of. was real, real young. My dad was a film lover, and it's kind of funny looking back on it now. A lot of the films that he showed me when I was pretty young, um, like older in elementary school and middle school, a lot of those films eventually ended up in the Criterion Collection. He, mm -hmm. he had pretty good taste. He showed me a lot of classics. Um, but, I mean, when I was little, little, I mean, I was watching – I mean, obviously the great Disney movies, but I remember – like the thirties and forties adventure movies I was really into mm -hmm. as a kid. And I mean, I've just, yeah, ever since I can remember, I've 
I've loved the movies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just uh, watched um, The Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn with my four-year-old. That was and, one uh, of the first movies yeah. I remember. Like when people ask me, what's your first movie? I don't know if it was The Adventures of Robin Hood, but that's the first movie that I have like burned into my memory. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I did. Um, I did a little bonus episode, kind of in, as a filler. Uh, that was that would have come out uh, a few weeks ago now. Um, and uh, my son actually is on that episode, given his like oh that uh, that movies to show your kids. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He's on that episode, given his like four year old review of of that movie and the Wizard of Oz that we watched recently. Um, Ooh, yeah, it, yeah, it's really fun. Uh, fun showing him those those movies and seeing what he as a four-year-old like gets out of them like what's exciting to him is yeah it's it's fun obviously you know i'm it's, very excited to show head, my but... my children robin hood yeah yeah um yeah it's 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 fun um so uh yeah yeah that's really cool um i i feel like uh so many of my guests like start start with like loving film as kids <laughs> is that is not awesome. your story i don't know if i've heard yours yeah yeah it's um it's just it's one of those things where like i watched movies uh, as a kid and i remember you know going to see the disney movies with my parents and um you know love star wars and um those sort of more like blockbuster stuff. So like I read um, Star Wars was super formative as it was with probably yeah. lots of people in our generation. Yeah. It, it's funny, you know, um, it, it seems like Star Wars, like even more like, so Indiana Jones, I think for kids like in the eighties was like just as big as Star Wars. Um, I was born in the early nineties. And I think by the time I was watching movies like that, um, Star Wars kind of was still like super big and, um, you know, there were the re-releases were coming out like as I oh, was, like, that was starting a blast. to watch I remember those. That. Yeah. I, I remember I saw, um, I saw, well, it was a new hope at that point in, uh, in theaters as a re-release, um, as a kid. And so, but Indiana Jones at that point was like, I, I remember seeing them a long time ago as a kid, but it, it doesn't like wasn't as formative as star wars but um but yeah it's 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 one of those things where I, I watched movies as a kid and i watched a lot of movies you know in high school and stuff but again mostly like just blockbuster stuff and comedies and i really started sure. to like get more into like watching film i would say like later in college um nice um yeah so I mean, it's easy uh, to sometimes be a snob, but I'm always trying to encourage people. No, like, let them in. And the whole, like, oh, like, you yeah. haven't seen that movie? Like, there's plenty of classics that I haven't seen. And I've seen oh, yeah. thousands and thousands of movies. It's just like, yeah. we're all bound by time and interest. And I have a huge list of, like, big movies I want to see. But, like, the yeah. last, like, three or four months of every year, it's, like, horror and holiday movies. And it's just hard to <laughs> see too much. That's true. Yeah. Watch the same movies every, uh, every year at Christmas time, which is great. Yep. I, don't, I don't mind it one bit. Um, me and my wife actually watch uh, fantastic Mr. Fox every Thanksgiving. We started that a, f a couple years ago. Yep. No, that's a, um, that's been a, a fun tradition. Fa fall favorite of ours as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, so memento, uh, 
being your your introduction to Nolan. So did you see it in theaters? Uh, so then? no, I remember okay. I remember seeing the poster in the newspaper, but I don't remember. I don't think it was that I was too young. I was definitely watching R-rated movies at that point. And I remember I got it on like VHS or DVD as soon as it came out. But I don't know if I didn't have an adult to take me or if it was mm. playing so briefly. I grew up in Florida. I don't know. I remember seeing it in the paper, so I feel like there was a showing. I, I probably just couldn't get a grown-up to take me at that yeah, point, sure. I'm guessing. <laughs> I don't really – I don't have a vague memory of the theater, but I remember as soon as it came out, uh, I think I probably – like, weird. Maybe it was DVD. It was either DVD or VHS. I got it mm -hmm. right away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and watched it a that, lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's one of those – yeah, we'll get into that. I'm sure uh, how rewatchable it is. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's really cool. I uh, I was like completely unaware. <laughs> I was in like well, fifth yeah, grade. if you didn't get in it till college, then yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like in fifth grade when this came out, and so just like totally not on my radar at that point in in my life. Um, but yeah, it's it's really co cool and funny to like look back on. Uh, how, like the the history like you know you you hopped on and s like checked the website like there's actually a website for memento yeah. before it's we like started recording, i remember i check yeah com. i remember mm -hmm. daily like weekly if not daily checking that website for updates like filming updates like set updates mm -hmm. um yeah it's not functioning anymore I'm, it's still yeah. there but it has a landing page but that's it right yeah, I got on. I hopped on there uh, when I was researching, and I saw that that was a thing. I was like, "Oh, let me see if it's still there." But the, yeah. every time I clicked on but something, cool it was that, like, "But yeah, no, that was <laughs> some very good memories." Like that was like the best. Maybe not the best. You can do it like like this, for example. You can do a lot of great things on the internet, but that was a very special time in the internet's development where yeah communities of people who loved something could just have a great time versus the trolls and trash and all yeah, the advertisers yeah. and everything like that was the the heyday of the imdb message boards and nice. uh, i followed a lot more i don't think i've paid for anything i feel like there was a lot of film journalists and blogs and like not just randos with blogs but like hike like high quality film people would have blogs that I would read. Like that was a, that was peak internet in a way. I I'm very grateful for a lot of the things Yeah, like my podcast of this, like the internet does have a lot of great things, but that was, it felt a little pure maybe at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like too, like I remember like hearing the, the website, you know, there was like things that you could find, you could like dig deep into it sort of thing, which was kind of unique at that point for a movie. Um, but also like there wasn't, you can just Google, like, how do I find all the things in, in this website that are hidden? Yeah, no, you had to like, put in the time. It yeah, was a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah. Um, like now you can just go on the Reddit board and someone will tell you all the secrets, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not quite as fun unless you like force yourself to to not you know cheat sure I guess. but uh but yeah um yeah no, i was very excited i love film noir i love detective stuff 
I don't know if this was the movie that got me into Guy Pierce, or I already liked Guy Pierce, but I remember being excited about Guy Pierce around that era. Like yeah. it was a lot of the things, and I was a big like, and I still am. But I mean, that was kind of when my cinephilia was budding, and I was all about the writer director. And I was like, ooh, like this guy. There's a lot of buzz around him. Like he wrote and directed his own thing. I'm sure. I guess Memento had maybe um, premiered at a festival, and it was getting ready to release wide. I wish I remembered yeah. it better, but I remember the build up being special. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We and we can we can hop right into the the kind of history of it. Um, so you know the the story kind of goes. Uh, which, by the way, if uh, I know I I recommended it back on the first episode, um, but there's this book, The Nolan Variations, by Tom Schoen, um, or Sean, depending on how he pronounces it. It's S H O N E. Um, it's a really good book that he kind of wrote in tandem with a, a ton of interviews he did with Nolan. So there's a, a just a ton of insight into his career and all that. Um, but um, a lot of my research is coming from that book, but um, nice. Yeah. He, he, so following, he had kind of realized when he was getting following going that, you know, if he wanted to like have a career in making movies, then he, he really needed to get to LA or somewhere like that. Um, there just wasn't like, um, in, you know, in London at the time, which is where he, he made following, there wasn't like, he couldn't do festival runs. Like there just wasn't anything there as far as that goes. Um, at least not at that time. And so, um, yeah, he, kind of comes to the US he's on um trying to take a car from Chicago where uh he grew up to LA and his brother Jonathan uh who I think the family calls him Jonah um they hopped in the car and drove it from from Chicago area to LA um yeah that's how it started so that, I believe right yeah and that's that's where that's where memento all began uh uh, Jonathan kind of shared that he, he had like read about this, um, anterograde amnesia, um, uh, that, you know, Leonard in the, in the film has, and kind of had this idea for a, a story about a guy that has, uh, this anterograde amnesia and is like, um, it, you it's know, it's pretty undeveloped. Like if you're a storyteller, yeah. like you don't want to overuse it. People can right. like soap operas surely overuse it, but it's a good device. Yeah. 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 And it's a, it's a unique one. Um, that's the, you know, he, the story goes like he was telling him like about, you know, this kind of guy that's kind of unstuck from time sort of thing. And Nolan, uh, Chris Nolan is like, actually, yeah, that, that's a really good idea. I, he, he basically said, can I take that and write, write a, like a script for it for a movie? And Jonathan's like, well, yeah, I guess so. And so, they really like end up writing, uh, writing this like simultaneously. So like Nolan is writing the script and getting the movie made, and Jonathan is writing his short story, uh, sort of at the same time. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like it's an adaptation, but not really. It's it it is an original screenplay. They came out um, at the same time. It's kind of like one of those weird yeah two thousand and one situations where. 
to collaborate. In this case, they were brothers, but right. where two artists get together and they're like feeding off of each other and each kind of creating mm-hmm. their own thing. I don't think 2001 is the only other instance that I'm aware of where like this sort of thing happened. Yeah. Yeah. So Nolan had actually like by the time Jonathan finally finished the short story, Nolan had already like wrote and like filmed the movie. <laughs> so the movie was yeah. pretty much done. Um, it released in, so it, it had like a festival run. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the short story released like, I think a couple of weeks before the memento officially like a released in theaters yeah, premiered i think they wrapped yeah and then it came out in a magazine right and then a little yeah, while later Esquire. like they kind of i mean man really great timing yeah have you ever read it um <clears throat> pardon me yeah i remember good. reading some of it i don't yeah. think i read the whole thing but um yeah memento mori i remember tracking it down mm-hmm. after i'd seen the movie and. I'm a big reader as well as a movie watcher, but I just, I don't think it grabbed me or I don't know if I had to return it to the library or what, but I definitely didn't finish it. Yeah. 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 It's, um, I went and found it. You can just Google it now. Memento Mori Nolan. I'm sure it's out there. Yeah. Pops up. It's on Esquire.com. You can just go on and watch it. Uh, you just got to scroll through the ads is all, uh, uh, But yeah, it's uh, it's not really even that long. It's um, I, I mean, it probably took me fifteen or twenty minutes to read it. Is all, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's kind of a different, um, a little bit of a different perspective. Um, a little bit less like it, there's a lot a lot less like characterization and plot. Um, it's more just kind of like inside of his head. Um, it's even written in like second person, but you kind of start to pick up on like that. He's writing it. It's like, he's writing it to himself. Like the you is referring to himself. Um, interesting. And so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, it was, it was fun to, to read it. Um, yeah. Uh, so Nolan, when he was writing the script, um, the, I, I kind of found that he said he he was like constantly listening to Radiohead's OK Computer, yeah, which is yeah. funny. He uh, and the reason he said that it was actually like kind of influential is because it was an album where like he could never remember what song was next. So um, so like if you're an album listener, which you know I I don't listen to albums as a whole as much as I used to, but I used to like listen to whole albums straight through all the time, and so after you do that a couple of times, you kind of like get, get the rhythm of the album. Like, you know, like, okay, this song and then this song and then this song. And, uh, Nolan was listening to this and he could just like, never remember what song was coming next. Um, just like, I the, like them that, fine. I'm very much an album yeah. guy, but I never, I, and I like Radiohead fine, but they were just never right. one that I spent lots of time with. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same here. I, I think they're, they're, great but yeah i haven't spent much time with him but i I did think it was interesting that he like you know that would i guess like more like atmosphere of more of like the the atmosphere and the idea was kind of like influenced by that that state of mind i guess like yeah i don't know what's coming next kind of state of mind um 
And, uh, and yeah, he, he kind of like was struggling with how do I get this film in the perspective of this amnesiac? Like, how do I make this happen? And, um, he just kind of like, I guess he was just musing in his apartment and finally like had a aha moment of like what, you know, I can tell this kind of in reverse, um, which is just like, turns out to be like a brilliant move. Um, and what is, so you've watched, um, <clears throat> I've seen following, but it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. What was the device in following? Remind me. Yeah. So in, in following, you know, he's, it's kind of this, it's this guy, he's, he's following people. He gets kind of caught up. Um, a guy notices he's following him and basically like uses him. So it's from, it's kind of like told, you kind of have these visual cues of where you are. It kind of jumps around in the timeline of like, this is when he meets the guy and starts like robbing apartments with him. This is, you know, now he has like, a shaved face and clean hair and he's wearing a suit. So yes. this is after okay, yes, a certain yes. point. Now he has like a beat up face. So this is like after a certain point. And, uh, and you kind of end with like it being this whole like setup where they were using him, um, to like, you know, basically to frame him, um, with him being totally unaware. Like he's, he's the framing device too, is it starts with him, uh, basically like confessing to to a police officer and then so it starts okay. with that and ends with that that's kind of I like should watch the, that again yeah yeah it's um it's really interesting and it's it's the only nolan that uh has a criterion um uh, it is this yeah which is really, kind of strange to me um, <clears throat> which is nice because um, i tracked yeah. it down on like some sort of british import or whatever before it was on Criterion, back mm-hmm. when you had to work a little bit harder for it. I yeah, remember. for sure. Yeah, I was. I don't. I, n- I never picked it up because I feel like the. I love Criterion, but I feel like the uh, supplements were not very generous on that. And I'm like, I don't know how many more times I'm going to watch Following, but I should maybe right. check that out from the library or something. Yeah, that's that's what I usually do if I'm like, well, I don't necessarily want to like spend money on this, but I do want to watch <laughs> the extra features. Just check yeah. it out from the library. So um, I probably spend way too much money on those uh, biannual half off sales. Yes, it's, it's hard to say no to. It is. Um, my my wife always like uh, she jokes because my my birthday's in July, and then you know there's there's Christmas, and there's always like a summer. Uh, half July and November and, like, and November. Yeah. And so my wife is like, Oh, this is perfect. I can get you. I always know what I can get you for your, your birthday and Christmas. Nice. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, uh, one of the things I thought was funny that Nolan says is like, so he wrote this, he actually wrote it, uh, as it plays out. So he starts with the, the same. He didn't like write it in chronological order and then reorder it. He actually wrote it um, as it actually plays out in the film. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and so and so he said that in a way it's sort of the most linear script he's ever written. Um, I guess kind of insinuating that a lot of his stuff he does kind of like write out and then kind of like move stuff around to play with in that way. And this one he actually like sat down and wrote it. 
And is that something? So, I mean, I don't know when you want to get to this. Is how do you feel about no? I mean, Nolan's big thing is time, and mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes yeah. he does that more successful than others. But is that something that's still exciting for you? Like for me, like Memento is maybe the most exciting, and that was yeah. kind of like his first one, which is sometimes a bit of a bummer. But uh, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. It, so, like, I would say. I would say for me, this one is probably this one and maybe Dunkirk are probably the two that like time is the most interesting thing about the movie for me. My number one and two um, on my ranked list. Yeah. Um, the uh, I have other. So I, I there's several movies by Nolan that I really love. Um, uh, Interstellar is probably one that is like the most like it has, you know, good general ratings, but it's probably the most controversial of like, I really love interstellar or like, ah, it's not, it's fine sort of thing. Um, I love it, but the the time aspect is, um, it's hard, quite as interesting to me about that movie. Uh, there's other things about it that are more interesting to me and reasons why I love it. Um, but interstellar was one where my former co-host, uh, loves it so much that he like pushed for it to get covered on a substantive cinema and like uh-huh. I like it more, but I, I feel like it kind of doesn't add up exactly. And I hate people who are like the logic police. And I know Neil deGrasse Tyson said it was yeah. cool or whatever, but I'm just like I feel like it fundamentally kind of doesn't work. But if I like shut my brain off in a way, like I feel like it's either a three, three and a half star. Or like a total five star masterpiece, and I kind of go back and forth on it. Like sometimes I go, yeah. no, like it's beautiful, it's incredible, but also I go, does it even work at all? Like mm-hmm. I feel very both ways about it. Yeah, yeah, it's um, I so like people that feel that way about it. I'm like, yeah, I totally get it. Um, I'm one of those people that like, I really like, I really don't. I'm not really the sort of person that like is sits in a movie and like i like have to figure it out before the movie's over oh i yeah um, i don't do that i at tend all, to yeah. try to let movies happen to me and so nice. like um you know and then like sometimes like you go back and think through like you know how it played out and sometimes it lessens it sometimes it doesn't um like uh so like for this movie obviously like there's there's just like a big like reveal like oh this is what's been going on uh sort of thing towards it towards the end which we'll get into um but then like chronologically that's in the middle too which is interesting as well yeah um so yeah but then there's movies like um like a movie that in the moment i thought was really fun but then like immediately afterwards i thought was like uh, that doesn't really work is, uh, now you see me. Uh, okay. Do you remember that one? Is that the magician one? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, very strange. Yeah. I always give my wife grief about that one that like one of the times when it came out, she said like that she liked it. But in my mind, she's like, Oh, I really like this movie. And then I saw it and I was like, interesting. Okay. It was, it was fun enough watch. So it feels cheap to me. Like, um, so like movies like, like it's this, literal magic, and I was like, that's not the whole. Point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like this one, and like uh, the Sixth Sense. So when you go back and and rewatch these movies, 
you can see like all the clues. Sure. If you like, if you go back and watch now, you see me like there's no clues. They could have thrown anyone in there because it's like sure. quote unquote magic. Like it's just like it feels cheap uh, on rewatch, and it feels it it feels cheap when you think about it for more than like you know five seconds. And uh, so like it's really like it really does. I feel like take a a, a precision and a really like creative mind to make a movie like Memento that like oh, yeah. stands, stands up to that test. Um, uh, and yeah, I, you know, he, he really did like, he, he says like when he was making this movie, he really did try to like tend to that precision. And, you know, it's probably just, you have to have the right kind of mind to like, think about all those details. Well, and it um, wasn't just for like one of my major complaints with Nolan's later work is that the formal attributes kind of outshine the movie. Like this mm. is one I've seen Memento loads of times, mm -hmm. but it's been a while. Like I have, I don't know if I've seen it in the last 10 years. And if I have, it was maybe one time I saw it a ton when it came out, but like, yeah. I remember Leonard, I remember, Teddy, I remember Teddy slash John Chi. I remember Sammy Jenkins. I remember, I remember Dodd because that was a thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> other than the Batman stuff, I'd be hard pressed to like name a Nolan character because I feel like sure. they're not really characters. They're like sure. ciphers they're for ideas. ideas. And yeah. like, and that's not invalid, but mm -hmm. like, I, and like, not that the memento characters are the deepest because it's kind of, it's very noir but they feel human. Their motivations are very human. And I, like we talked interstellar, I, I'm mixed on it, but even when I like interstellar, I'm like, I, I feel like it almost doesn't even earn the emotion in a way because it is also cold and calculated. Like mm -hmm. I really feel like memento and insomnia and maybe the prestige were like the most like heartfelt where like you actually care about these characters and, and that's yeah. what I like more. Like I'm a, I love spectacle, but I, I kind of feel like Nolan is so into his ideas that it's uh, the the characters can sometimes suffer. Yeah, and and Nolan is so in an interview about this movie, he is very upfront with the fact that um, you know someone had asked him about the character and the humanity of of the character of Leonard, and he was very upfront about like. I wasn't really thinking about it in that way. I he's like I I tend to write my scripts more like um thinking about it like from a distance and as a puzzle. Um and he said it really wasn't until uh Guy Pierce came on and was like, you know, asking questions and like he said Guy Pierce really is the one that brought the humanity to that character. And you can feel that for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I which I kind of respect. He, you know, he, he, he's like, not like, Oh yeah. Like, yeah, I wrote this. <laughs> he, he, uh, he was like very upfront with the fact that like, well, no, actually like I was pretty distant from, from it emotionally. Uh, and you know, this great actor came, came alongside me and made it, made it even better. Um, that is so interesting. Like I joke, like I, I do like Chris Nolan. I respect him maybe mm. even more than I like him, but he does feel a little bit, robotic sometimes yeah. yeah and very sterile 
Yeah, and I, I think that's probably like he he. I feel like the movies. So like Dunkirk, it kind of is supposed to feel that like that, and so it works really well. Um, you're not. It's not really supposed to be this like deeply. Emo- There's not really like deeply emotionally connecting characters for you to connect with. It's just kind of like this. Um, I don't know. It's it's kind of like um, an experiment in like filmmaking in a way. Sure. And but like, that and that would really work. Visual storytelling. Um, yeah. Uh, and and again, like another thing for that one is there's no like there's really not any exposition. There's no like there's no rules to explain. You just watch it, um, which is probably I to think its also strength. maybe his shortest full length feature as well too, which doesn't hurt yeah uh yeah so yeah so like for interstellar for me i think for me personally mcconaughey really like um i guess like captures the emotion well and so i'm really able to connect despite like the the distance of the writing that you know nolan is kind of upfront with like yeah this is kind of how i write um for me, it's like I really connected with McConaughey's interpretation of that. And that's just one of those things that's so subjective. Like either you, you connect with his interpretation of this character or you don't. Sure. Um, and it, it's just kind of one of those things. And that's why I like some people are like Interstellar's like an incredible film. And some people are like, well, it's okay. You know, it's kind of, it, it doesn't really work for me. Um, yeah, for me, it really does depend on the day. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've gone back and forth. Like, it is so impressive. It's kind of a mm-hmm. masterpiece. But then also, I'm like, what What even is this? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, with Memento, uh, like, you know what everything is. Like, yeah, I like the Prestige. I enjoy Insomnia very much. But, like, Memento felt so grounded also like i love yeah like film noir is maybe my favorite like genre like i mean i love all movies like there's there's nothing i don't like but i mean i think it was so formative for me and it's what it's done well i feel like it's undeniable yeah and i think that's probably like a reason why memento works so well is because it's so grounded in that genre um you know with following i remember hearing Nolan talk about how um, he felt like he could play with the, the time in it and like the, where you were in the narrative, because people kind of knew like I'm in a film noir and this is kind of generally how it's going to play out. And so like your audience is kind of like, they're primed for you to be able to experiment and do something different because in the end they know this is how a film noir plays out. You can kind of like, Jack exactly. with everything in the middle oh, okay. because Interesting. they understand right, where at, it's going. You know, I'm looking at the timeline. I was a Guy Pierce fan because L.A. Confidential also, yes, in the film noir <laughs> world, came out a few years earlier. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. That film noir is like a big influence on on Nolan. I think really you can see its influence in in a lot of his movies. Um, yeah. One, you know, after Insomnia. You know, I, you you see it in the Batman movies. You see it in Inception and and the, even the Prestige. Um, oh, very and, much. Uh, so. Yeah, it's so. And you know, he he kind of talks about how, um, you know, you're 
part of the reason he loves that genre and is so influenced by it is because you part of the structure of a noir is that you're supposed to get lost in the plot. And that's just kind of like how he thinks he gets lost in these ideas. Following so, the character. And for this, it's exactly like you are lost. Like Leonard is lost. Cause yeah. he literally can't with the way the movie's chopped up. Even if you know the movie, mm-hmm. I haven't seen it in years, but I remember all the beats. I was like, like, where are we? When does that happen? Like, yeah. cause I was like, I thought the, um, yeah, there are a couple different things that I thought happened earlier or later. Like, it always keeps you kind of like off balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's fun too with this one. So, like, you there was, you know, a, a, I guess like a small tradition of amnesia movies. Like, you have like Spellbound by Hitchcock, and um, and uh, which which I I saw recently, and a few others, but um, one of the things he, he liked about this idea was that it kind of breaks that tradition in the, in the fact that this character knows who he, I guess you could say is or was. Yeah. They had um, that line he, about that too. He's like, yeah, I'm Leonard Shelby. Da, 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 da. No, like that's who right. you were. Right. A lot's happened since then. Right. And it, so you, you kind of have, it's a little bit different. Like he's not like this guy that's like, I don't know anything about myself. Like he knows, in a sense who he is, but it's still like you can take that and then play with that idea um, in a different way than you can with someone who just like completely doesn't know who they are. Um, Yeah. And so, yeah. And uh, another, like a couple of movies that he mentioned in influence wise, one was one that I haven't seen it. Angel heart by Alan Parker. I don't know if you've ever seen that, Um, but he, he talks about, he, that being an influence in the sense that there's a twist, um, like there's a big reveal twist, but the, like the storytelling plays fair. We kind of talked about that. Like um, it's not this twist that like, you can't go back and see the evidence of like it, the, their storytelling like really plays fair with the audience. So like when you get to the twist, if you go back, you can see like how you got there. Um, uh and then Blade Runner, which is like he always like talks about as one of his big influences for just his his love of movies, his career, his. But um, but yeah, is he Blade just Runner a big about, one for you? Do you have, is that one that you like? It's not. Um, it's one that I like. Um, but yeah, when I, it's probably one that I would like more on a rewatch. Um, but I wasn't like in. I wasn't like super captivated by it when I, when I saw it, I, I probably watched it a few years ago for the first time. Oh, okay. um, and it's that probably one, one of those things where like, I've just seen other things influenced by it. And so it's, it's not as Which impressive. So many as a, people yeah. are like Blade Runner is one that so many big directors yeah. or like working directors are influenced by like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's a seminal film. It, it's one of my favorites. I remember the first time I saw it feeling, and I'd been watching movies for a long time by that point, but I remember feeling like my life had changed almost when I saw yeah, that yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. And so it's more just like, I, I'm very positive on it. Like, I, I really think it's a, a, a great film, but I don't think like I was blown as blown away. It's probably one of those expectation things, you know, it's built up. So sure. Much. If you're like, Oh, Blade Runner. And you're like, yeah. well, and also there's like, 
there's a lot of different cuts, but there's three main cuts, and it's like right. which cut did you watch? Right. Uh, the the latter two cuts are pretty similar. I do mm-hmm. think the final cut is the best cut, but I grew up watching the director's cut. I don't think the theatrical is bad, but I don't think it's great. And I understand yeah, I people saw the theatrical. Did it have a uh, narration? I think it had some. Uh, I think yeah, it might the have narration been the director's is the cut. Theatri- okay, the director's cut. Did maybe not it have didn't that. have. Maybe it didn't have it. I honestly need to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, but that's a but big yeah. one that does deal with like memory and identity memory and identity and yeah. humanity and like mm-hmm. what what does it mean to be a, a sentient being and all that yeah which i'm a big sucker for yeah same same and yeah nolan kind of says he he carries a lot of those ideas over into this one which you can totally see um but yeah uh yeah this one um is one that of course like uh, his now wife emma thomas uh, got in the hands of um, of a production company. I think it's a uh, New Market Films, um, and yeah, he the the guy liked it and gave them four and a half million dollars. And um, it's funny, uh, you know, a lot of people think about you know Batman. They'll they'll say like Batman being his biggest jump, or even like maybe Insomnia being a studio film. Um, but as far as Nolan's perspective goes, he he feels like this was like his biggest jump. Um, because well, I think percentage he, wise, right? Cause like yeah. maybe following was made for a couple grand and then you go to 4.5 yeah. million percentage wise. That's a lot. Well, really like following was kind of a zero budget film. Like, um, they used like old equipment and then, um, really like the only money they spent was on, on the film stock. And it was just his pocket money. Like he got a bonus from work and bought a bunch of film stock sort of thing. Well, yeah, he, they so shot really that like, over a long period of time too because yeah, of Yeah, a whole year. Yeah. Um, and so it's it really was a zero budget film. And so Nolan jokes that he, you know, with this film, he really goes from like hanging out with his friends and his mom making them sandwiches to like using four and a half million dollars of someone else's money. Um, Pretty crazy. Which like when you think about it is like a humongous jump. Um, and so like, and it's, it's interesting, you know, a lot of times it feels like nowadays, like if, if a director makes a film like following or memento, then like they're immediately like someone like tries to grab snatch them up and like make a Marvel movie or something. Yeah. Or like Um, reboot something. And I, yeah, I feel like if those things are going to be to that. Yes. Yeah. If those things are going to be what gets made, I would rather have talented people subvert them some. And I mean, yeah, Nolan mm-hmm. made Batman, but like, right. I, I hate to see people who are originals kind of get sucked in to the studio system. I just saw Denis Villeneuve saying after Dune 2, he wants to make another Dune. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> but like, can we get him back though, making his own movies? Right. Yeah, I, I feel similar to like uh Greta Gerwig, you know, she's like, you know, I want to That's interesting. Yeah, movies. she's going to the studio like, right now. I guess that's a good thing. You know, we have to have somebody that's like talented and like thinking yep. differently in the studios. Uh but there's also like the piece of me that's like, yeah, but let's make more like Ladybirds. That was that's really exactly. good. <laughs> Cuz it's like, uh, do we need more Narnia movies? But if they're going to make them, I'd rather have a talented yeah. person make them. Yeah. It's like a 
it's a catch 22, I guess. Uh, yeah. As far as that goes. Well, especially um, how much time and energy the big stuff takes. Like the big movies take years and years. And it's like maybe in like a, the Greta Gerwig Netflix thing, you can crank them out. Cause I don't hate like the old Hollywood model. A lot of great stuff got me. There were good things about the mm-hmm. studio model, like with contracts and, and infrastructure. Like you did every movie, like, yeah, they had their own budgets, but like if you shared sets and actors, you could maybe get somebody for a reasonable rate and you don't have like one of the principal actors taken up $15 million just for their own salary. So like pros and cons, but I do prefer original storytelling. Right. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. Um, I guess like, yeah, like you said though, if if we must, then let's get some some good minds in there, like some good people with some good vision, I guess, you know. Yeah, um, I think Nolan is one of the very few. Mm-hmm. Maybe like two or three who can get a a good budget for an original idea. There's not a whole lot of yeah. those people out there. Mm-hmm. I think it's like yeah, he him Tarantino and Jordan Peele. It feels like right now. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of the very few, like, um, I think I mentioned this, like, in the overview episode, that he's, like, one of the few that can walk into a studio with a completely original script and walk out with a several hundred million dollar budget. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's really, it's a like... a crazy. It is. Um, but it's a, it, it's a testament to, uh, I think... Um, you know, I had written in my notes somewhere that Nolan, like, um, this was like what kind of cemented in his mind the idea that you can um, make a you can make a movie that challenges your audience um, with a with a big like with a big budget um, and like still it it still be like a big hit like a big um, you know, get people to the theaters like blockbuster yeah. kind of fame. Um, which like which I really appreciate. And when you really think about like now when we look if you watch like the Batman trilogy now, like it's like, oh yeah, like a lot of people are trying to do this sort of like dark superhero movie. But that was like sure. a totally All the wrong lessons. Yeah. He was doing like something totally new with it at that point. Um well, yeah, the first one was a noir and the second one mm-hmm. was Heat. And the third was kind of a mess in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like, you know, he he's doing something different. And then he's also like in the middle of the like he took his time with them. Like he he didn't really let the studio like push him around. He was like, well, we'll make they really like made one at a time um, is how he talks about it. Like I made yep. made Batman I think Begins. That, that was very important. Yeah. I made Batman Begins. I had another thing i was working on which turned out to be the prestige and then then like after that period of time being away from the batman like batman begins he was like okay i think we can do another one now um fresh like with a you know and so yeah that super i feel like that just doesn't there's not a whole lot of space for that sort of thing now and you know memento i don't know like it's funny because so Memento gets made um, and then they they take it to all these 
like they do some screenings for distributors yeah. and nobody everybody wants loved to... it but everybody yeah. all the distributors were afraid that the audiences right. were too dumb they're like this is great uh we're afraid the audience is too dumb to get this yeah yeah and it's it's just so funny like they were like hey this is we love this do you have what else are you working on sort of thing and um no one no one says like everyone rejected <laughs> rejected us and so New Market Films actually like created a distribution arm just for this movie um, and uh, and got it out out there. Um, they did a festival run, um, which Nolan talks about. Nolan talks ab about going to the premiere at Venice, uh, which is where it premiered and um, for the first time. And he like, you know, sneaks in and he's like super nervous um, big film festival and there's like this moment the movie ends and there's like this moment of pause um, and then like he actually got like a, a standing ovation um, and he he said it just meant so much to him that there was this moment of like wait what just happened and then like everyone like realizing wow that was an incredible and um, he just talks about like the this festival run being like these studio, like these distributors, are totally wrong. The audience, the audience is totally getting it. Um, well, studios are yeah. often wrong about that. Yeah, and so it ended up like it's one of those movies that like grew its box office like throughout its run. Well, that's um, crazy to think about too, right? Like, mm -hmm. if they didn't distribute it themselves, we might not have Chris Nolan. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a testament to like um one of the things I've learned doing this podcast so far is that the the community of people that you have around you like really um is it means a lot for for that creative community is super important. Um you know, with this one for this film it was you know that that New Market Films and, and the guy that like gave him his budget that like believed in it enough to like put their careers or you know or at least a lot of money on the line um to get to get this in front of people um for insomnia you know which uh we'll talk about next week it was steven soderbergh like basically like marching on to studio oh yeah he steven marched on to warner was... brothers lie and <laughs> said you better give this guy a chance yeah. yeah um and so it's that creative community that like which with really Insomnia too, even with Soderbergh banging the drum, they they still had him do a remake before they let him do something original again. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, it, it's really it's really crazy how how just like how studios work. Yeah, I um, yeah, I wrote down some of the like reception things. Uh, so like at the time it released, you have like. New York Times saying it's an existential crossword puzzle, which is funny coming from the New York Times. Um, Variety said it was delectably disturbing. Um, you know, these are some great like <laughs> little tidbits like that you can throw on your uh, your movie poster for when it's going to DVD. Um, but yeah, it, it ended up making like 40, I think over 40 million worldwide gross. Yep. 10x um, its budget. That's pretty great. Yeah, yeah, really incredible. Um, and I think and like a lot of the, it had strong word of mouth, like mm -hmm. because it is kind of a hard movie to traditionally market. I remember a lot of it was just 
uh, like fans talk like, oh, did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? Like, oh, like, yeah, this is something special. Like it had strong word of mouth that I feel like is pretty challenging for uh, with all the noise now. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of hard for a movie to do that. Like sometimes it happens, right? But not often. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, mean, kind of recently with Barbenheimer, that was like like an internet joke that right. turned that into word up. of mouth. But that's not like, oh, this is so good. It's like, isn't it funny? The yeah. isn't the counter programming amusing? Right. Yeah that that was kind of like a very like happy coincidence and like very like smart on the distributors and the studios part to like keep those because they very easily could have moved the dates for those. Um, as yeah, they but the result do. was yeah, accumulative. Yeah. I just checked the box office today. Cumulatively, uh, over two billion between the yeah. two, which yeah, is pretty which wild, is crazy. Um, yeah, Barbie. I think is now the top eighteenth grossing movie of all time. Yeah, it's it's up there. Um, I haven't checked uh, in the past couple weeks, but it was, it was as game, of yesterday. On Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, that's uh, the which one was to another beat one from this year. That it might. Yeah. Some of these movies still hit, yeah, hit, which is hit real hard. It's funny to me, like, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's like, is theater dead? And it's like, well, you have these movies making a billion dollars, so Not I don't at know. All. Uh, I don't know about that idea. They need to get um, creative. Right, they need it's to... IP movies mostly, but but well, yeah, um, that's the thing. Like, if everything is part six, part seven, part eight, like. That's going to get tiring after a time. And then you yeah. have Barbie is technically an IP movie. Right. Oppenheimer is like a biopic based on like a seven or 800 page book. Like, right. Those are both very different, but it was driven by the creators, like the writer director who had a vision. Mm -hmm. And that's, those are always the most exciting movies for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if they are like, Oh, we're going to make, several more Barbie movies, I would like put money on them, like progressively being like less and less quality. Um, oh, there but... anything that they make, and I'm sure they will because studios don't usually learn the right lessons and they've already greenlit. I don't know if you saw, I think it was the variety article. They're already in production for like eight different Mattel yeah. IP movies. And it's like, <laughs> I'm sort of curious about Daniel Kaluuya's Barney, but <laughs> yeah. like, that's yeah. not the lesson we should learn from Barbie. <laughs> right. Nothing uh, coming after it is going to do what it did, even close. Right. It's at $1.3 billion. Yeah. Nothing else is going to come close to that. Even like Barbie 2 with Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie. I, mm -hmm. That probably won't crack a billion dollars because it's not fresh. Right. So, like, try to learn the right lessons and enable the people with original voices to come after to do things that interest them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I I think this this film like is it really is like a testament to the importance of of creative minds like sticking to like what interests them. So like think, you know, people can think what they will about like Christopher Nolan and tra the trajectory of his career and like what, you know, what of his movies are actually like good. Um, but like he, 
he sticks to like his kind of creative space, like his movies all kind of inhabit this like, hey, let's take a, a strange, like kind of philosophical idea and like make something really big with it that um, that is like visually like impressive, but also like, you know, is kind of a philosophical puzzle. Um uh, for for audience to like audiences to talk about um and really like he's he's kind of stuck to that through his whole career um and yeah, hasn't so really he's, strayed he's from a big it. puzzle box guy uh-huh um but man it, it it really is one of the things though that i think that people maybe don't talk enough because he's got these huge budgets now but when you go back to these first couple of movies um that are way like he's working with way less money, way less like production, uh, like big production stuff. Like he's so like one of the things that like he does is he doesn't use a monitor. He like he's by the camera um, when he's when they're shooting. Um, he's like in the space like and so like it, it's one of those things that the way he shoots and the way he like thinks about how the movie's going to be like produced and put together, um, I think is actually like really like sort of underappreciated, um, about him. It's not something that people talk about, but when you think about this movie and the way, like where he puts the camera is like so purposeful, like, um, you know, you have the, the timeline and color, you have so many shots that are like, which he he's worked his so way back close. to now with Oppenheimer, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're so close. You're like, so in his space. And, um, there's a purpose to that, which is like, you're, he's wanting you to have like his perspective. He's wanting you to like, get that subjective experience of what like Leonard is experiencing, what he's like thinking, what he's seeing. Um, and so like, you know, it's one of those things that's like he, his camera work and the way he like puts his blocks, his, his scenes and that stuff is very like well thought through. Um, but I feel like with the discourse around Nolan is rarely about like what he does with the camera and more about like, yeah, artistic. I mean, a part yeah. of me feels contrarian, but I go like, this might be his best shot movie. Like I know that the big special effect shots of the other mm -hmm. movies, but I really think about this and the prestige as like really like well told visual stories. Yeah. 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 It, it really is. I mean, Dunkirk, I guess in a way, but like that was more, I don't know, like it still has broad, that big production. Painterly. Feel to it. Yeah. 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 And this one, this one is really like, you know, I don't know. Like, there's really like cool, like, I guess like more trivia stuff, like the opening shot, which plays like in reverse, like, which you don't realize that's incredible. at first. That is, See, they incredible. shot that with the reverse mag. So they yep. shot it. Um, so like, if you're listening, you don't know what that means. It means like, basically the film runs backwards. Um, uh, as they're like, they shoot it in you know, obviously they're not going backwards <laughs> and the things aren't happening backwards. They, they, they shoot the scene as it plays out, but the film is going backwards. Um, and so like 
they didn't like take the film and like edit it to be backwards. They actually like shot it in reverse. Like the physical film is going in reverse so that when you play the film forwards, it's in reverse. Um, it's kind of hard to explain. No, it's a cool little trick. And like, yeah, I remember, and this was in the era in the early two thousands. I don't, I mean, we're both at a very different stage of life, like married with kids. Like Mm -hmm. I don't have big movie parties often anymore. But yeah. like this is one came out when I was in high school. I, I would show this to everybody. This yeah. was one that like you get people over, you show them, and right away from that first scene in back, like everybody's gripped. Like you notice yeah. the uh, the Polaroid starting to get blurrier. You're like, oh, like this is going backwards. And then yeah, the gun jumping into his hand and the blood going back in to Teddy's head and then you you're putting this all together like what like mm-hmm. the, no movie like no other movie like really had done that and it, yeah. it it grabs you right away yeah and it it's it's with purpose too like it's um you know it's to clue you in on the structure like this is what you can expect the rest of the movie this like and then the uh, the other cool thing with the sound design is all the sounds are actually like played forward so like the gunshot and uh, and some of the other like sounds that you hear from the scene are not like the sounds don't happen in reverse. The sounds happen forward. So it creates this like disorienting effect. Um, like as you're watching it, uh, you're like this. This kind of feels weird, um, not just because it's in reverse, but the sounds playing forward. Um, yep. And yeah. And then like to have like the insert shots of like the glasses and the, the casing of the, which by the way, the casing of the bullet, they didn't shoot that reverse mag. They actually shot that forward. Um, and then like reversed it. Nolan, because like you, you can't really, it's so hard to capture like a bullet fall, a bullet casing falling. And so Nolan like actually sat outside of the frame and like blew the bullet casing into the frame. Uh, Oh, interesting. Yeah, and then they they that's how they got that like reverse shot is, uh, yeah, really like creative. Like, I really want this shot of this bullet casing. (laughs) How are we gonna make that happen? I'm just I'll just blow it into frame. Um, yeah, it it's it really is incredible. It's fantastic. Um, Yeah, Um, and I mean, like, casting is just incredible too. Honestly, like, it's. Yeah. So did you know that Brad Pitt was originally like interested in um and they like it was they were wanting to get him uh, I Brad did Pitt. it until earlier this week I listened to the blank check episode. Yeah, yeah. And then I heard I heard about it there and I was like, "Oh, like that I love Brad Pitt. I've always yeah. been Yeah. I mean, Brad Pitt the actor. Personally, that's you got to separate sometimes. But right. <laughs> um I've always been a Brad Pitt fan. I think he's an incredible actor along with being an extremely handsome movie star. But like, I think Guy Pierce, like because Brad Pitt is so handsome and charismatic, Mm -hmm. I don't know if he could sell the everyman, especially in 99 or 2000. Like Mm -hmm. that's fight club era. I mean, maybe, but he's just he such a star. He feels like, too he incredible. powerful of a presence. Yeah, like he does that sometimes very well. But I 
I also think that because Guy Pierce is a little more more thin and gangly, like he he feels more vulnerable. Like Brad Pitt is sure. this like super charismatic. He's broad. I I don't buy him. Even I'm sure he would play the the memory loss very well, mm-hmm. but I feel like Guy Pierce's figure very much works for the vulnerability like brad pitt would have looked great shirtless yeah. with the tattoos but <laughs> i don't think he would have sold like rushingly like putting on a suit that's too big for him trying to right. figure out where he is like i, I yeah, think it's, that that's one of the that things no one talks away. about yeah one of the things no one talks about is like guy pierce had this like incredible memory not just like for like obviously like the lines and whatnot, but uh, this really great memory for the movements, like where he was on in frame and the way he needed to move um, and express himself, which really comes through. Like one of the things that I think Pierce does like incredibly well is that kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like what he's talking about that he realized Sammy Jenkins is doing, which is like, acting familiar because you're not sure if you know someone or not um that kind of like oh yeah like hey teddy like <laughs> yeah that sort of thing like he does that so incredibly well um it, it's one of those things that like you really notice more on a rewatch is like oh yeah how he's he's acting like when when he's running into someone again for him for the first time because uh, he doesn't remember them, he's like he's having to act, like he's having to read them, uh, in one sense, but also like act like in a certain way, like because he he's not sure if he knows them or not. He's not sure if they're pulling something over on them, so he's like reading them and then acting at the same time, like. But you see all that in the way Pierce yeah. handles himself. No, um, I I wish that Guy Pierce was a bigger star in a way, but mm-hmm. I I mean he's made some interesting choices, and sometimes some of the stuff he signs on to is a little whack. But yeah, he's got a lot of like wonderful, wonderful movies under his belt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I need to to see more of him. I think I feel like he's one that I haven't seen a whole lot of. Um, but yeah, um, have you seen yeah, the proposition? Just, I have not. That that just got a super nice 4K. I don't have it yet, but uh, the proposition is one that I always evangelize to folks. Wow, it is pretty low okay. on his uh, letterboxed watched list, but proposition is a masterpiece. Okay, yeah, wow, it's streaming that. in a lot of places according to Letterboxd right now. Great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, good to know the proposition with Guy Pierce. He's the I, I'm assuming he's the lead in that. Uh, yes, he is. Cool. It's uh, it's like an Australian western. It's very much a western, but it's set like mm. in the Australian outback as it's getting civilized in the late 1800s. Oh, it's okay. uh, yeah, wonderful, very brutal, super duper brutal. Um, but it's an incredible story. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have to check that out. So yeah, Guy Pierce is great. Uh, Joey, uh, you got Joey Pants. Joey Pants. Joe Pantaleon- As <laughs> It's better just to call him Joey Pants, so you don't have to get mixed up on the on the last name, which I'm assuming he, is Italian. 
Yeah. No, he's <laughs> Joy Pants is great. Yeah. He is. He's and he's excellent as Teddy. Yeah, it's it's I think it's Nolan's first um so like with Insomnia you have these two huge like A-list really like three A-list stars. It's kind of crazy, yeah. Who come on with so much baggage, like not baggage like in a bad way, but just like people know them as certain types of actors. And yeah. somehow Nolan channels that, you know, in like twists those things a little bit. And I think he does that really well here with 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 Joey Pants because like he's coming on like people kind of have an idea of the sorts of characters he plays. It's usually like this weaselly villain, villain kind of guy. Um, and like, he plays with that distrust that people have of the persona that he usually plays so well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it really like, there's really great casting and apparently, um, uh, uh, Carrie Ann Moss actually suggested to bring him home. This was like right after the Matrix. Yeah. Right after uh, the Matrix. He had both of them yeah. together again. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's really, really great. great run for both of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Carrie Ann Moss, too. Like, she she was so good in this movie um, and plays like a very, it really, I feel like she shows like some range between this and the matrix because in the matrix she's doing a lot of like it's a lot of action a lot of like the way she the way she moves is like so important to that character um even more so than like the emotion but here i feel like she plays she's the really emotion yeah she's yeah. really acting and she she does so incredible like that scene where she like tells him like i can do i can you know say whatever i want and you won't remember yeah. um, i feel and like she goes me, in the car and stares at out. him <laughs> oh when she's staring at him Whew. as he is you you see later she like has hidden all the pens in her house which yep. is kind of funny that like his weakness is make sure you take away his <laughs> pen so we can't write it yeah. down because he's gonna forget it but just the menace of her sitting in the car looking at him after mm -hmm. she said all that horrible stuff gotten him to hit her knowing that she's just going to walk in with a sob story. Yeah. He's not going to know acts, any better. Like acts as she's acting, um, which I always like, I always love when uh, actors get to do that is to like act while they're acting. Um, yep. To, to pull that off uh, is like just an incredible skill. Because <laughs> um, she really does like uh, it could, it could so easily, you know, Acting while you're acting, for lack of a better term, way to say that, is like could so easily come off as like campy or uh, just like totally unbelievable, like take you out of a story. But so it really takes someone with some really great acting chops to pull that sort of thing off. Um, yeah, I almost wonder like how many actors like do improv because it feels like that's something that you could really grow your your skills in doing like more improv sort of acting um yeah well you said acting while acting yeah that scene is so powerful and effective and sinister on its face but then because of the 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 storytelling structure the way the scenes unfold like 
it's even that much more powerful. Like if it happened right. in a linear right. way, it would be powerful. But you get to the punchline of you understand what she's doing to him. But before, like earlier in the viewing experience, you were on her side. You're like, oh, this right. other guy beat her up and Leonard's going to help her. And that's right. like, no, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> that's, that's not what it is. And yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. it's it's incredible. It is incredible. And maybe we can like jump into that, that structure, like the way the reverse structure like works in this film. Um, you know, it, so like essentially like you're, you're getting all the elements of a noir film, but you're just getting them in reverse. Um, so like thinking about Natalie, Carrie and Moss's character, it's, it is a femme fatale character but in reverse. So instead of going like seduction, manipulation, betrayal, uh, you kind of get like betrayal, manipulation, seduction. Like it's kind of totally in reverse. Um, and that's something that like this structure does for us. Like you, you still get that very familiar, like sort of character, but just in a totally new and like really revelatory way. Um, that's, I don't know. It's just like mind boggling to watch and experience. Um, yeah. yeah. Are you a, are you a big noir fan? I have become uh, much more into noir um, in the past, like I would say a few years. Um, like uh, we were talking about uh, film spotting a little before we started recording. Um, and they did like a forties noir marathon, like a year or two ago. Um, and I really enjoyed watching that and have I had watched some before that and uh I feel like I've really watched a lot more since watching that um probably you know from from what it sounds like probably not as as much as you but um but yeah I, I would have to think about though like what what my favorites are double indemnity is is way up there for sure excellent um, movie yeah it, uh a movie even, I, like, I loved when I watched it and we we did an episode last year on it, and it was years and years. And because it was so long, like watching it again, fresh, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like mm-hmm. I knew this was like a top tier movie, but yeah. watching the new Criterion release, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is yeah, so good." Yeah, I've enjoyed. Um, I've for a long time, Hitchcock was a, a huge blind spot for me, and um, like last year, I watched Psycho, and I for like the first time and um oh, i've wow. been kind of like progressively like watching more hitchcock and a lot of his older stuff um a lot of his like uh 30s and 40s stuff is very noir um yeah some noir vibes yeah there. and so um i've enjoyed some like the 39 steps um is probably a lesser watched one but really good um you know uh strangers on a train um, the lady vanishes. The lady vanishes. Those um, are just so they're so fun. Um, yeah, I feel yeah. like when people. T- I mean, we're a little bit off topic now, but the lady vanishes is is maybe my favorite Hitchcock. Okay, like, obviously, yeah. I know a lot of the other ones are incredible, but mm-hmm. like just a fun like watch. That's all of the departments are, mm-hmm. are wonderful. It's extremely entertaining it's thrilling it's exciting Mm -hmm. like i haven't revisited it in a while but 
Yeah. Like the of the non-obvious ones, like that one's maybe my favorite. Yeah, I was actually telling my wife she would enjoy. So my wife, like she she does not watch like anything that's stressful or like she won't watch. She won't <laughs> my, my watch anything similar. She won't we, watch we anything that's going to stress her out. Yeah. yeah. So like she'll watch like she might watch like the Dark Knight or some darker stuff like that. Stuff that she saw when she was younger. Sure. Um, but like today she's kind of like I I don't watch like I watch comedies, I watch rom-coms, I watch all that stuff, but don't ask me to watch anything stressful. Um, sure. And I was actually telling her I was like I really actually think you would enjoy Strangers on a Train because like it's I guess it's kind of dark in a way, but it's very it's lightly thrilling, told. But yeah, it's yeah. it's a blast and it's a, it's very funny. Um yep. Some good British humor, like yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we definitely got off topic there, but um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. No noir, like I. This was yeah, mid or, or late two thousand one when it came out mm -hmm. broadly, maybe yeah. even later when I picked it up. I was big into film noir at that time, um, <laughs> because of the uh, the Max Payne Xbox games. Actually, kind of okay. got me into it. Like I read an article about all the different classic movies that um, inspired the game designers. And I watched all of them and yeah. I just became like head over heels for Dwar. Like that was the first like, like homework I gave myself. Where I'm like, I'm going to watch all of the classic noir movies. And mm -hmm. I watched like a dozen or more of them in a short period of time. And it's, it's so simple. But it's, yeah, it, it became very close to my heart. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very, like, it's, it is a very fun genre. Like, it's funny because usually they're, they're like, a little bit darker and, like, literally, they're darker. Um, oh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, stylistically. And then yeah. Very stylistically. Stylish yeah. But also, like, um, yeah, they're, they're highly stylized, like, visually. Um, and then like, they're very like formulaic in a sense of like, yeah. this is kind of the way generally the story is told, like we kind of talked about earlier. Um, but like always so like thrilling, like, um, when they're done well, uh, it's just like, it's like a ride. Like, you know, I know what to expect visually. I know what to expect, like kind of narratively but it's still like and more such or less an you usually know the rules like the consequences yeah. like you know it's usually not gonna end well if people decide to like come up with some sort of scheme to like mm -hmm. do something illicit you know it's probably not gonna end well for them but it's yeah. thrilling almost every time when it's executed properly it's it's almost like you know there's going to be some sort of twist or some sort of reveal. And I think it's part of it is like the anticipation of that makes makes is part of the enjoyment. Yeah. Um, which like or just the shoot a drop in general of like the consequences, which back to Memento makes it so interesting that the choice, the choices that Leonard made, like usually like we're used to the femme fatale, turning out to be bad. Like we usually can see that coming. Right. That like, oh, that's the femme fatale. She's eventually gonna be bad news. Or the friend who betrays you for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. But like 
usually the protagonist is reliable enough on his own. And it was kind of an interesting uh, inversion of that here. Like, mm-hmm. Leonard, like we, we learn eventually, like, that, that Leonard is the one deciding to, like, deceive himself. Right. And uh, that's, you don't usually see that. That That's yeah. in the way that it's told with the storytelling device mm-hmm. on when he's writing on all the Polaroids. It's, it's pretty gripping stuff. Yeah, it. It is. It's it's it is a total inversion. Like, I guess maybe not total because like there is a sense in which like Teddy and Natalie are using him and playing typical like oh totally bad bad friend and femme fatale characters. Like they're Teddy's manipulating him. Natalie's trying to get him to like yeah take care of Dodd. Teddy's trying to get to two hundred k, but like right, they're not but his. Also, they're not Leonard's biggest problem. Yeah, he's his own biggest problem. He he's manipulating himself, which is really like incredible. And I think the structure like plays into that. Like no one even said like I think uh I think the quote that I that I had was um if you play this like forward, it's basically just like two people torturing some guy with a disability. <laughs> Um, have you ever watched that i uh i haven't no i think i, I don't started think that I ever would. it i was like this is boring i don't like it yeah i don't think um, i ever would watch it that way i think it was a blu-ray or a dvd feature at one point yeah and i was like oh, i think it was I'll a hidden feature like, i don't want to watch this <laughs> yeah i think i think i remember nolan in an interview saying like that it was a hidden feature on the on a dvd release yeah i remember uh, which is i remember fun. finding it starting it and going this is yeah. a more interesting idea. Like, cause this isn't the movie, like right. the whole, like the, the inverted story that like meets in the middle, which he was doing like that tenant crap from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Um, which even like you have the gun at the beginning going up into his hand in reverse, which is kind of like a, is that a tenant call thing? forward? Yeah. Tenant, you know, you have the, the bullet going back into the gun and oh, tenant yes, was a yes, big yes. I saw tenant thing. once, in the theater. I have it on digital, but I have not watched it again since. Yeah, same, actually. The I saw it in theater and haven't seen it. So I'm looking forward to revisiting it. But yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, it's funny how yeah, you really, can like see Yeah, like the elements. blueprint for Nolan very much is mm-hmm. in this movie. And I kind of, I don't know where we are in this discussion. Like, I kind of think it, I would love for it to be uh, topped. But like, I don't know if he ever did it better, frankly. Yeah. Um yeah, you know, this, so I'll say this. This isn't like my favorite Nolan. Um, I have others that um, like, you know, I like Interstellar more and Prestige more. Um, part of that might be like I I came to this after seeing the, those later movies. True. Um, yeah, this was and, a very formative movie for me. Yeah. When I was a young person and I saw it a ton of times. Yeah. Yeah, so like the prestige is the so I remember seeing Batman Begins, um, and uh, maybe the Dark Knight too. But the prestige was the first movie that I was like, oh, this is a Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, when I was in college, and like the way that movie plays out and the twist, and like then like I remember like rewatching it again, like really soon after I had seen it for the first time, and um, so that probably that feeling that I had with like the prestige sure. is probably similar to like you with memento of like, 
I need to, sh- I felt like I needed to show people that movie, you know? Yep. Um, well, and his movies really do lend themselves to that, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it's also really nice to have somebody, whether I personally love the movies or not, it's nice to have somebody who is making movies that really cares about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It absolutely. is getting the general public excited. Like, I, I still haven't seen Oppenheimer yet because it's three hours either. long. And <laughs> like with It's hard to get rides, to the theater. Yeah, with car rides and previews and everything, that's like a, a four, four and a half hour endeavor. And yeah, that's, I'll get it on digital and watch it. And I know that it won't be <laughs> as exciting because well, my wife wants to see that. So I could maybe sneak away. But still, even if I stuck away, that's three hours at once, which is right a harder sell now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've personally got a four, four year old and an eight month old in the house. And so just like Ooh. go leaving for like a, a three hour movie, you know, plus getting there and back is just like, I don't know if it's going to work out anytime <laughs> yeah. soon. I will uh, be seeing killers of the flower moon. That will be my, my yes. long movie this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, I can't wait for that one. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. This this structure is just like incredible. The um, one of the things, like you know, you kind of talked about the time factor being a, a factor in this movie, um, and that structure, that reverse structure. Um, Nolan kind of talks about like how all movies distort time, technically. Um, they. The author sure. that, that I shared, Tom Schoen, he talks about like um, in a class he showed people, I can't even remember what movie it was. Like he showed his class at a university uh, movie and um, like then he like the discussion, at, they didn't know why they were watching it. Just like we're watching this. And then so after the movie, he's like, OK, how much time passes in this movie? And like there was like a they had like, you know, a 45 minute discussion in class about how much time had passed in this movie trying to figure it out. And it's because that's something that movies do that we just kind of like give ourselves over to. Yeah. Um, Almost no movie happens in real time. Right. And Nolan says what, one of the things that he loved about like making this movie is he's taking that just natural thing that comes to movie making and like putting purpose behind it. Like there's a, a, a very a very Nolan purpose. idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which I and it works so well. Like, you know, you're kind of once you pick up on like, okay, these are going in reverse, like you're in on that with him. It's not like he's hiding that idea from you. He's like putting it right in your face and saying there, you know, there's a purpose behind this distortion of time that you're experiencing. Um Well and you're it, it doesn't because you can't perfectly replicate memory loss to right. an audience but the the effect of watching this movie kind of jigsawing it together mm-hmm. like you, you are being kept off balance in a type of way that the main character is right like right letty is always trying to figure things out and you're always like oh like this kind of connects to that which connects to that like that that fogginess and mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure exactly what's going on. Like that really does put you in the the character shoes. Yeah. And it, 
you know, it, it often plays out very like with these like, ah, like, oh, that's what's going on moments. But then it plays out comically sometimes, too. Like one of the best little things is like, what? wait, where am I? Oh, I, maybe I'm chasing this guy. And he like starts that's to go toward him. And he's like, yeah. oh, he's chasing me. <laughs> yeah, he gets uh, shot at. He goes, oh, no, he's chasing me. Yeah. That's so good. Yes, yeah, so good. Um, and like funny, like makes you laugh like every time. Um, yeah, the dude, way Nolan movies don't usually have humor in them, right? Yeah, that's you don't usually get a good laugh. Like that's a yeah, solid you, laugh. That is a solid laugh. And then like I feel like Joey Pants brings a lot of like comedic energy with with the way he plays that character too, um, and the way he like he kind of like jumps in so familiar with uh, with Lenny. Um, Linny, yeah, you know, Linny. Yep. <laughs> no, like I had that stuck in my head, which is why, like my complaint of like, I remember the names of the people in Memento yeah. and I maybe haven't watched that in like eight or 10 years and shoot, like, well, I guess there's birth because of the, the, the gifts, the stuff from Interstellar, yeah. but I don't really remember the names of like any of the people in his other work. Yeah, that's fair. Um. One of the other things that I love about this movie, especially, is the editing. Um, yep. I feel like his early films, and I'm interested. So, like a lot of a lot of the ones after this, I've never really watched with this perspective that I'm watching these with for this series, and so I'm interested to see, like, okay, how does this like progress as his career gets bigger? But like with these first three movies, the editing is so essential. Um, and part of that is because like, that's something that Nolan like learned how to make movies. Like that was part of him learning how to make movies was editing. Um, you know, I talked about in the overview episode, um, that, you know, he found this old Steambeck uh, editing machine, um, and like learned to edit, like basically taught himself how to edit film on that machine. Um, which if, have you ever seen one of those things? Yeah. A... I mean, I'm, and we talked about this before. I'm, I am not technologically inclined. It's yeah. I, I marvel at people who are, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's yeah. not me. When I look at that machine, I'm, I think like, wow, it's really impressive that someone makes movies using this thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so like the editing is and this actually got a nomination for editing, um, uh, Oscar nomination. Yeah, editing and screenplay. Which again, I was yeah. like, yes, like vindication, like my little movie, my little noir right. movie that which, like this guy who I just discovered, Chris Nolan, like it got some Oscar nominations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the editing, man, the transition editing is so incredible. Um, which they, um, one of the cool, I guess, like a cool production fact is they. They didn't like, so when you have those transitions where you're like jumping from like this scene, the scene after to the scene before, you know, it always, when you end the scene, it's the beginning of the scene that you watched before. Well, um, there's usually like, I noticed that particularly at this time, like there's usually some sort of like repetition, like a sound or like mm -hmm. the yep. closing or opening of the door or the faucet. Or the the shaking of keys, or like mm -hmm. there's some like thing that will put you in it, which 
like again if you're Lenny like those are the things that can even like kind of set him off and reset like when Carrie and Moss like slams the car door before she comes right. back inside right it resets them and those those audio like notes really do like play a big part um and that's all like that's all just editing and then like you yep. have so many like insert shots um that like put you in his head like his like looking at the polaroids or like the flashback memories um they all like they're also very like purposeful which one of the one of the funny things about that is a lot of that especially like the flashbacks of his wife they shot all that footage and they really didn't know what they were going to do with it um and so like it really wasn't until they were putting the film together so like that's probably the one part that was like less planned like not really like precisely planned was what are we going to do with this like this footage of him and Her being the attacked. Wife? yeah him and the wife um uh you know a lot of that ends up getting used at the end um but you have these like quick flashes of it all throughout the movie that are like very like i think well edited into the film um but yeah I, I loved that um what I, so like i'll i'll transition into like more thematic stuff by asking this what when you think of memento what's like the thing that you think of like that rolls around in your head like memento this is what like this is what it had me thinking about after I watched it. I mean, other than just how impressive of the story it was, like just, I mean, I probably wasn't thinking about this when it came out, mm-hmm. but now kind of looking back on it, like thinking about like just the human desire to like have a story that you believe where like, you're the good guy. Yeah. Right. Like Leonard, went through some very hard stuff, but was coping in some pretty bad ways. And when confronted with it, when Teddy, I believe, and again, some of this is hard to decipher, but I think at the end, I I believe Teddy's telling him the truth that. Yeah. He, he helped him track down the guy who attacked his wife and who messed up his memory and they killed him. And he, he couldn't remember. So Teddy's bringing them along and they're taking the law into their own hands and taking care of scumbags and all that. But like Leonard is still trying to like, he couldn't remember that. So he needs a story to tell himself to go on. And I think it's an early chronologically line that Carrie Ann Moss said it stuck out to me this time where she says, like, ah, it must be hard to, like, live your life just by some scribbles that you have on pieces of paper. And, like, mm-hmm. a lot, like what what do we motivate ourselves? Like, what are the stories we tell ourselves kind of deal? Right. Like, ultimately, we, are all, we all operate on a set of core beliefs. And, like, where do they really come from? Mm-hmm. Like, that's those are questions worth asking. Yeah, and we do, like... Um we we all live by like a set of like presuppositions um about like who we are what the world is like how we should interact with it um and then yeah, like how do we know what we know right and how how strict and stringent are we about 
our positions because mm-hmm. you could be you get yourself in a pretty bad positions going this is it like and i i, I won't even consider anything else like yeah and, and this is just kind of a fun story but yeah like th- those themes are definitely there if you want yeah and it's it yeah it's all there it's it's really fun i think um the narration really like adds to that some of the questions that like he asks i feel like are like you know really like great questions to think about um just to like run run away with and like you know talk about with your friends after you when you watch it sort of thing but uh like one of those standout ones is like when he he's laying there and he's like how am i supposed to heal if i can't feel time um yeah which which raises the whole like time heals all wounds question um he's literally stuck in like yeah 15 20 minute increments of time like how can how can he exist yeah how can time heal heal his wound um and it it really does raise the question does time heal all wounds like does time heal can time actually heal your grief or your loss um or does it like just kind of like lessen your awareness of it over time. Um, I don't know. I, I think about like how, so like for, for Leonard, his loss and his grief and his anger because of that um, is like, is his basically is his identity um, because he's stuck. He's stuck in that. Um, His loss has, has defined him, uh, but he can't like transform, like he can't, transform past that like he can't grow past that well no that's what teddy teddy saw and is taking advantage of that that anger that vengeance and he goes oh like i could use him to kind of take out scumbags and uh, Mm -hmm. help me earn a little bit of money yeah yeah and the same with natalie too natalie saw that and she's like well this guy's angry and if he's looking for somebody to punish like why not punish somebody that will benefit me yeah yeah and it's it's really interesting um i don't know it it just kind of makes me think like so like when we you know who don't have enterograde amnesia experience like sure. loss and grief um like what what can we like take away from this idea and it just makes me think about okay like when i have a big loss and am, am grieving over it um just asking the question like does this does this loss actually ever leave me or do I, am I able to like, I don't know. I guess like maybe it's the thing of like, let me not take for granted the, the, that I have the ability because I don't have short-term memory loss to be able to like grieve and let this loss and this grief become a part of me in a different way. Um, than just being stuck in that grief and anger. Um, you know, I guess like, I don't know, sometimes like films can do that. They can, they can show you something that like you take for granted. Um, it's that idea, I guess, like going back to following, you know, there's that line where he says, you take, you take something away from so someone to show them what they had. Um, and I think Nolan does like to do that with his films. Like you're put in the perspective of Leonard and you're, he takes away your ability, 
um, to to work through grief and loss from sure. his, like Leonard's perspective to show you like what you maybe take for granted. Um, well, yeah, and I I don't know exactly. I don't imagine that Chris Nolan was necessarily trying to get right. to any of those. But I mean, right. I think that one thing that you you could it's just like it is it is a healthy and good thing to to lean into reality and to face the right. truth. Like when those right. things happen, it, it's good to lean into the truth rather than mm-hmm. try to retreat in a uh, a story you tell yourself to kind of avoid dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mean to say like, these were no one's intentions. Oh, um, no, 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 no. But, yeah. But often like, often when someone that is creative is like making art, like those ideas that are rattling around in their head do come out in the narrative or in the painting or whatever, um, where in ways that they might not even realize, um, which is something that is really cool about art is, you know, messages can be in there, like totally in there that the artist didn't even realize that they were putting into it. Um, and that's always fun. <laughs> yeah. I just had one of those videos pop up uh, on social media recently. Uh, but yeah, no, that, that is always fun when you see artists in the promotion of their movies, you see an interviewer ask them a well-worded question. They're like, oh, like, I guess that is what that's about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it really is fun to when that happens for sure. Um Yeah, um another idea I think that is raised here is like just the the reliability of our memory um and like oh, yeah. how we use and interpret our memories um to like define ourselves um and to yeah, it, it's interesting, you know, he, Leonard kind of talks about how, like, he, he doesn't go by his memory. He goes by facts. Um, but yep. the, the, yeah, the reality his background was the, uh, the insurance uh, investigator, right? Which is right. also Which is, a very noir trope. It is. It's a double indemnity is Walter Neff, I think is, is a similar, uh, sort of occupation. I'm pretty sure. Um, could be I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure no that's, he, he's an insurance yeah. guy right yeah um but it, I just think I don't know it's it's an interesting like idea that he has about himself that you as the viewer kind of know like I don't know dude like <laughs> your facts well, he are talks all about exactly he's like yeah. this isn't about feeling it's about facts and it's like literally the climax of the movie is you purposefully tattooing wrong information onto your body. So like, which you don't know at that point, uh, in, in the movie, which is a subversion of you're like, Oh, he's putting all these pieces together. He's got the guy's license plate. Oh, Mm -hmm. it's Joey pants. But then that was a choice that he made. That wasn't right. The, the result of some sort of fruitful search and a revelation that was just kind of a vengeful, choice right yeah and i think that is like those elements of like the clues being put together do play sort of like a noir that goes forward in a normal structure um and it's like that reverse at the end like 
the way the movie ends changes the way you see the rest of the movie. Like once you, once everything, once the reveal happens, like it totally changes everything else. Um, well, yeah, so, the movie like, starts, you see right away. We talked about the scene going backwards. Mm-hmm. The first thing you see is Joey Pants getting his head blown off. Right. And the last thing you find out is why. Right. It's not what you thought it was. Right. And and like that really is like the the main question you have the whole time. It's not like what happened to his wife and like who did it. It's more like, wait, why does he shoot this guy? Why is he killing this guy? Um, but yeah, just like just like that idea of his memory, like him relying on facts, not memories, is it kind of like in hindsight is comical because you're like, well, dude, like your facts are based on bad memory, like <laughs> on like your facts are based on like you relying on your handwriting as if like someone couldn't have manipulated your memory to make you write or something just told you a wrong down. thing that you wrote down. Like, right. It, it is just fundamentally humorous and kind of tragic that yeah. a guy with his condition is so adamant about facts. Right. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways that Leonard is like Nolan's most tragic character. Um, you could probably argue the the um Hugh Jackman's in, in the prestige is probably up there. Um I guess like Leo's Cobb could be. is I don't know. I have sort of up there a but, lot about that. but yeah, Leonard is Leonard really is a tragic character because like he's I don't know, it's it's a weird thing because like part of it is he's imprisoned by his condition. But at the same time, like he's still making choices. He still makes the choice that leads to him killing Teddy. Like he he actually is in, in control of that in a way. He's manipulating himself and he's manipulating his like his condition to get revenge again on another well, and guy. Under but... under Teddy's wing. And I mean, it depends on what story you believe about Leonard and Sammy right. and all that. But like Leonard is kind of like out on his own, somehow sort of kind of functioning like he's being scammed by the guy at the hotel mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Teddy is clearly lying to him about some things, but also seems to be like telling him the truth and like trying to be his pal a little bit too. Right. Yeah, it, it's there's always like a half truth in what te- Teddy's telling him. Um, that that's why it works. I think he doesn't like just outright lie to him. He's he's kind of telling him half truths. Um, but yeah, I, I when I watched it this time, I think um the re- remember Sammy Jenkins tattoo on his right there on his hand, um stood out to me because I started to realize I don't think that remember Sammy Jenkins is there to remind just remind him of that story necessarily but to remind him of the idea of like what he could become if he doesn't make purpose for himself because uh, really like when you when you see this you know you have the black and white um kind of narration with him on the phone that tells a lot of the sammy jenkins story and like he sammy jenkins really is like he might as well be a vegetable like he doesn't do anything 
He just sits in front of the TV well, and, he and can't watches make commercials. Progress. The, right. Where they're talking about the electrocuted shapes and all that. Like, mm-hmm. he couldn't make progress. And uh, narratively, the tragedy is they're like, well, this isn't a physical ailment and insurance doesn't yeah. cover mental issues. So you're, you're hosed. <laughs> yeah. Because they're like, well, this means technically you don't have a physical injury. Like, yeah. that's not what this is. This is a mental injury. And technically, our policy doesn't have coverage for you, so yeah. you're out. You're out on <laughs> your own, which sucks. Uh, but yeah, I, so maybe I Guy Pierce was a little bit of a scumbag before this happened. He's kind of a little bit yeah. of a scumbag after it happened. Like Guy <laughs> Pierce isn't really a good guy at all in this movie. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, like even he's kind of at one point reflecting on like I just told his wife what. I thought she maybe needed to hear like he wasn't actually like that concerned with uh with that like their livelihood. But but I do think that remember Sammy Jenkins tattoo is in a way like telling him like hey, you don't want to become a vet like a living vegetable like this guy. Like you want to it's like a a drive for him to whatever it takes have some sort of purpose that I'm living for. Um, which is, which, is a double-edged sword. Like, right. What, what would you do to have a purpose? Right. And it's like, yeah. Is there a way for him to have a purpose? That's not just revenge and not just like <laughs> it, it. Yeah. It's hard to say, you know, it's, if you're just going to, uh, how can you be a force for good with the condition you have? It, it's hard to say. Um, I don't know. Maybe someone more creative than me could come up with something. <laughs> but, uh, but well, because it... I mean, even the emotional damage too. When you learn again, it is unclear of what is exactly true, but it seems to be true that uh, Teddy and him tracked down the actual guy, and they killed him, and. That didn't leave a mark at all. He's like, I really thought that like getting the guy would be something you remember. And he even took a picture of it. And he goes, right. I, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. He's like pointing to where he was going to get the tattoo or whatever that said he, he, he got him or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say. Um, I don't know. There, there are the, there are, I feel like his tattoo artists, like (laughs) I I know that, uh, typically tattoo artists can be, uh, looked down upon and maybe not on the up and up all the time in society. But like, if you're getting tattoos where you're like, kill this guy, like, I I feel like that might be a little bit of a red flag. Yeah. John G raped and murdered your wife. Tattoo artist, like, all right, man, sounds cool. Like, <laughs> and then you're like, I finally killed him. You're like, okay, yeah. hold on now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I we did we did talk a little bit about like the rewatchability of this. Um, I had written down in, in the notes, um, this quote from Roger Ebert because I thought it was interesting. Um, Ebert like almost kind of says, like, uh, oh, this is a one one-time movie like it doesn't really yeah that work. was kind of ebert's uh ranking on this and i get it yeah. like this is not one that i would rewatch a ton by myself but i have a blast showing it to people mm-hmm. yeah i 
Yeah, that's that's probably true. It it probably is does play better when you're able to like show it to someone who hasn't seen it before. I um, watched it a ton back when it came out by myself, but this is not yeah. one that now. Like I, like Nolan's movies for me are not like crazy rewatchable. A lot yeah. of the times because they're spectacle driven. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, maybe I want to put them together a little bit but like i don't exactly like sure when i saw tenant i was like okay all right like (laughs) maybe there's an article that'll help me understand this more and i'm not a dummy but it's just like i don't i don't know yeah i don't know about this i i feel like though this one like really maybe more than any of his others like the pu- the puzzle aspect of it plays just as well with like rewatches almost oh, because yeah. you're I, I think this is probably his most rewatchable one, other than maybe yeah. like one of the first two Batman movies. Yeah. It's funny because there's so many like I like to go back and read Roger Ebert's reviews of movies like when I watch them. Same. Uh because he's just like he's such a he has such insight and he um you know, he was one of the greats for a reason. Um, but yeah, this was an instance where I was like, I don't know, like Ebert, like, I feel like, I feel like you're a little bit like, I mean, there is a, well, he's also a little bit bi- like, I love but, uh, Roger, but like, he definitely, he, he wrote from the hip every time and it's, oh not, yeah, he didn't get them all right. But like, he definitely is big plot and character and, this movie's much more about style and devices. And right. I'm surprised it got three stars. Yeah, he, he did. He was positive on it. And he, he said like, it was a, a really great like puzzle of a movie that was in, that was a, a thrill, a thrill to watch, but he just kind of had the opinion that really like, it's only like a one watch movie. Like, cause after that, it won't really be that great. And to me, like, it's probably like a subjective thing. Like, do you enjoy like going back after a puzzle has been solved and seeing how you got there? Like, if you don't, then like, you know, yeah, watch it once and be done with it. But to me, like I enjoy like digging into the details of the puzzle. Um, And I feel like you would miss, miss some really like, so like this rewatch, for instance, like, when I rewatched it this time, I actually like grew in sympathy for Carrie and Moss's Natalie, because what, what I realized with this rewatch that I probably understood to a certain degree, but did, wasn't really like honed in on the first watch was um, when he rolls up, like he rolls up in her like boyfriend's car wearing her boyfriend's suit. And like, and she even like, she even is like, you know, Hey, and then she's like, Oh, I thought you were someone else. And, you know, you're, you're realizing at that point, you're, you're far enough in where you realize like who she thought he was. Um, and that like, that changes for me, like her actions previously, because most femme fatale characters, to a certain degree, like don't have that sort of like sympathetic reasoning 
that she has for like the reason why she manipulates. And um, I don't know. I, f- I feel like that totally changes her character. Once that revelation happens of like, wait a second, she's, she's seeing him like she's putting the pieces together that this guy killed my boyfriend. And so like, you really kind of have sympathy. Like you might not agree that she should then go sure forward with seducing and manipulating him. But like, there's sympathy there. You understand like, Oh, she actually has like actually a, a kind of understandable reason for doing what she's doing. You know, Teddy may be less. So it's a, it's a less sympathetic version. He just wants the money that's in the trunk. Um, for the most part, but like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I would, I would have, I just didn't pick up on that the first time in this rewatch really like, Oh yeah, I definitely did not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, and then too, like all the, like all the subtle things, all the little things, like you realize like his, this suit totally doesn't fit him quite right. <laughs> like it, yep. cause it's not his suit. And, um, and I don't think I even realized the first time I watched it that she was hiding all the pins, like we talked about earlier in that, that oh, one okay, scene. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I picked up on that. Um, maybe I noticed, but like this time when I watched, I was like, ah, I see exactly what's happening. Like, and yep. you know, it's like his no, kryptonite, I, no pin. I think that this is definitely a, a one that's worth rewatching and maybe yeah. not like over and over and over, but maybe like every now and then, like this is, I don't know. This is definitely not just something that's disposable. You can watch it once, Mm -hmm. but if you, if you're a rewatcher, like I am, it sounds like you are like, this is definitely rewarding for the rewatcher. And it's one of the few Nolan movies that has a commentary track on the DVD or Blu-ray. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, he doesn't usually do that. I wasn't able to, to get, get that in, um, before this, but, uh, but yeah, I would imagine a lot of the stuff he says, I was, I was able to glean from, uh, from the book, from the interviews, but, um, yeah, I I don't know what, um, so you said, I'm just kind of thinking about like the puzzles that we have. Cause like part of the thing is, um, that no one says like the ambiguities of this movie are kind of like part of the point. Um, sure. And so like there's, there's a, he tells the story actually of really early on. Um, like at, there was an interview where someone asked like what his take was on the movie and he actually like shared it. Um, what his take was. And then uh, his brother like brought him aside and was like, Hey, don't do that. Like you're totally like, destroying the point of like the like the experience of watching a movie um and he was like oh yeah you're right and so like <laughs> that's very crystal hey yeah. be a person yeah and uh and yeah so it's funny like now chris nolan is very like hush hush about like what his movies means i guess he he kind of learned learned from that experience well yeah um, he'll talk about what's on the screen but he will let you right. sit with it right and I don't know, this one does have like the ambiguities and the puzzles at the end are part of like the, the thrilling and fun experience. Like really like you don't know 
like you, everyone kind of, I guess, has their opinion. Like, is tell is Teddy well, yeah, telling the truth or is he not? Exactly. Like, you really you, don't you do, know. You're not certain if Teddy's telling the truth. You're not certain. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think so, but you're not certain. Is Lenny Sammy or like right. is yeah. there overlap? Like the whole insulin thing. Like mm-hmm. the like whose the, wife had the insulin? insert shot of him like pinching his wife versus like giving her her insulin shot. Yeah, um, they even and you had like, like that Fight Club, quick like one frame of when you saw Sammy in the mental hospital mm-hmm. and an orderly pass by, and you see Guy Pearson there for like a split second. Like, yeah, yeah, he's. Like I think sitting... that was maybe more a little bit of an effect, but like it is meant to provoke the question rather than lead you to a crystal clear answer. Yeah. And it's it's just playing to a certain degree, like it's it's fun to like, like he knows what he's doing. He knows he's like creating these like questions in your mind to leave you with, because that's something that like uh, a film like you're like, Nolan likes to do. He likes to leave you with these questions, but then at the same time, like he is playing with memory. Like he, like our memories are like that. They can be fuzzy. They can be like not quite right. Um, And we can mix things up. Um, and so like a lot of those shots there at the end, there's even the shot like of his wife, like laying on his chest and he has the, I like, I think it says I've done it, um, tattoo, uh, like right there. Do you remember seeing that little insert? I don't know if I did saw that. Yeah. The it's, tattoo. it's there. Yeah. If you go back, um, right there at the end where like it's going through all that, stuff that we're talking sure, about yeah, yeah there's a little insert it's probably like you know three four seconds long where okay. his wife is laying on him laying on him like kind of like petting his chest and he has the tattoo right there in that empty space that says i've done it um and so it's like this i don't know it's like this total like memory I don't know. Like, I don't know what tattooing was like back then. If tattoo removal was, <laughs> was no, that no, no. Thing, I mean, he but... clearly has a ton. Yeah, yeah. Like what's the, what is real is, mm-hmm. is built into that as fun questions to ask. Right. Yeah. And it's fun. And it's, it's, it's built into the character too. Like a character that's kind of like unhinged from time and reality in a way. Um, you know, it it becomes sort of a Nolan trope, uh, his protagonist that has some sort of loss or grief and becomes like unhinged from time and space in a way. Um, you know, it becomes sort of like a thing that he does. <laughs> uh, oh, just yeah. thinking about like uh, the prestige and inception and um, interstellar, like they all have that same similar trope with the protagonist that, um, that he's already playing with here with Leonard. Um, and they, they're all different in the way that that plays out, but there is that, that similarity. Um, that I think it's fun. I think it's a, a cool like thread to follow the different ways that that plays out through his filmography. Um, yeah. Did you, did you have any like final thoughts on, on this movie or, um, like final takeaways. I mean, my, (laughs) my final thought for the movie really like, I think Nolan works best with 
creative freedom, but constraints. Like I, I kind of wrote on my letterbox tongue in cheek, like give him all the creative freedom, but like, don't give him more than like 30 or $40 million. Yeah. Like Missy, <laughs> like give him more than four, but like, don't give him like a hundred million dollars and like <laughs> all the leeway in the world. Like, yeah. Give him some constraints. Like, yeah. I hope he can go backwards. Cause like, Inception was crazy, and then you did Interstellar, and then you did Tenet, and then he created mm-hmm. a nuclear bomb. Like, then it's right. like, at some point, you're going to have to dial it back. Yeah. But yeah. also, Oppenheimer is the top-grossing original R-rated movie of all time now. I think the Deadpool movies yeah. and uh, Logan or Mad Max or something. Like... Yeah, All the other ones sense. were like IP sequels. Like mm-hmm. Tenet is now the highest grossing original, even though it's a biopic, like R-rated right. movie. So sure they'll give him all the money in the world for the next one. But I would love yeah. to see him return to do like something that was Memento or Insomnia or even Prestige sized again. I would really love yeah. that. So yeah, it, I would love to see either him take, constraint. Yeah, it'll either take like some intentionality on his part. Or because um, he keeps making money, like he right. or like a terrible bomb, or yeah, uh, that's what I was gonna I say. He, he just like that. bombs a couple of movies and then has like has to make his way back. <laughs> but I Which, think the know, Nolan cult is so strong, and he is very creative. Like, yeah, I think it would have to be a deliberate choice. Yeah, yeah, it. You know, I I I kind of shared in in the overview episode that he feels like the modern like Spielberg it's kind of like his name is on the movie and people are just going to go see it um and that's just kind of the way it is um you know he's he's the the modern director that gets butts in seats um yep it's true and uh you know that that was Spielberg uh you know Spielberg maybe to a lesser degree now but yeah i mean I wish um, Nolan movies were as fun as Spielberg movies. Yeah. But yeah, no, he, he gets butts in seats, which right. is good, which I'm very, I'm pro cinema and I'm mm-hmm. glad that he's bringing people in. And he's, he is very talented storyteller. He was, yeah. Tenet was the first uh, movie I saw in COVID. I was like, no, I'm going to yep. go see that. I'm not going to yeah, miss same. that. Even though I wasn't like amped out of my mind for it. I was like, I'm not going to miss that. Yeah. Yeah, I I was the same. I I remember that was the first time I went back to the theater um after the the pandemic when stuff started opening back up. Um and yeah, it's just just it's just like, oh, it's the new Christopher Nolan movie. We got to go hey, you gotta see, see what it. it's about. Yeah. And uh, if Oppenheimer wasn't 3 hours long, I would have seen that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh yeah, I, I, um, you know, this is, uh, listeners probably know this, uh, by now, unless you're just jumping in because you like this movie, which fantastic. Uh, you know, there's, I guess there's that way to, to listen to these. Um, I always like to recommend like watching through cause that's kind of like the endeavor that I'm doing is like watching through a director's filmography to learn and glean from it in that way of watching it. Um, but yeah, I, I I like to do like a kind of final takeaway that really like probably the director, the filmmaker has no like 
it's not on like we talked about earlier like this wasn't their intention at all but it's just something that like you know maybe isn't like even necessarily in the movie but just got me thinking about um and i I was just thinking about like who we are without our memories like we really (laughs) like our identity is kind of wrapped up in our memory of where we've been and what we've experienced um and when that's like if that's if that were to be taken taken away like does that take away like our identity and really like where i ended up with that like thought line is um just like bringing it back like bringing it back to how it plays out in the movie like a lot of the reason why to me like you know leonard is is the way he is is stuck in this state because the people that are around him like perpetuate uh his state um yeah and it it was just it just like makes me like appreciate the fact that you know building um building good like community around yourself is like such an important part of life like yes we're who we are you know based on like where we've been what we've made ourselves into but like your community can can be such a pivotal part of who you are and who you become um and yeah just like surrounding ourselves with people that don't like push us into anger and push us into like you know vengeance necessarily or manipulate us to their own gain but like surrounding yourself with people who push you toward love and who push you to grow. Um, Yeah. I just think that's, I don't know. I think it's something that is good to be reminded of every once in a while. Absolutely. Um, And so, yeah, that's just like um, a, I guess, sentimental in a sense, takeaway that I had uh, thinking about this movie. Um, Yeah. I think I already know where you personally have this. I, I'm assuming you have this as your favorite Nolan movie. Yeah, this correct? is this is the top for me. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Which I think a lot of I think more and more people are are leaning in that direction. Um, yeah, I as, feel like the top three that like people have would be. I feel like it would be this, uh, Dark Knight or Interstellar, depending right. on what your uh, interests are, your flavor. Yeah, I I know a lot of people have like Inception up there too, which is fair. That's um, true. Oh uh, yeah, my co- my previous co-host Trevor, Inception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he made me do Inception and uh, Interstellar on our show, <laughs> and I I I like both of those movies. I think more after like really diving into them to cover mm-hmm. them for our show. But I also go unnecessarily complicated and yeah, impressive spectacle. But also, like, is it necessary? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's funny. I, so I guess, like, my, I guess I should say, like, you know, you're welcome for bringing you on and letting you talk about your favorite one, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you found the one that was, uh, the, it was open. Yeah. I don't know. You, you have to leave your own two podcast hours. to talk about your favorite Nolan yeah, movie. I'm, I'm probably not talking for two hours about Inception because it's like, Ugh, dreams within dreams. That's yeah. How far can that go? Okay. Is the top spinning or not at the end? Who cares? I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's for me, yeah. The 
I, I prefer characters. Uh, it doesn't have to be just plot, but mm-hmm. I, I think everything works in Memento. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm right there with you. I don't, and it's original. Um, I you... Like I like the Dark Knight, but it's it's a comic book, yeah, and it's also Heat. Yeah, so that's true. Memento really has the originality aspect going for me. Yeah, yeah. I I think I I have it like right there. So like like I was kind of sharing like the Prestige and Interstellar are like two of my favorites. Um, Dunkirk is up there too. I think it's like a. I think it's a in a sense, a technical masterpiece Dunkirk. I completely agree. Um, I think I have it on number two on my list just because yeah. it is, it's so impressive. Yeah. It's but just it's so also tight. not one that I, I watch all the time either. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not one that you never necessarily like, oh, I've got to watch this again, but it's just so like tight and like, yeah, perfectly put together in a sense that, yeah, yep. just, um, so yeah, the memento kind of sits like after those for me, um, I have it like right there with like the dark Knight and, and, um, inception. I, I think I would probably move it above the dark Knight inception at this point, but we'll see if, as I go through, <laughs> nice. if I would, if I would move it, move those back over it. Um, it's hard to say, uh, you know, ranking is, I think ranking like movies is fun. Um, but I'm totally aware that it's pretty meaningless. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But for me, the, the, ba- the main one is that dark Knight rises is, is hard at the bottom. <laughs> that's fair. I, I think that's totally fair. Um, I'm interested to rewatch that one. Um, it's been a minute since I've seen it. I feel so. like I should, but it's also almost three hours. Yeah, they're long. <laughs> I oh, should man. give it another chance. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but so up next is Insomnia. So we'll, we'll be getting to that next week. I actually recorded that already. So I'm kind of pulling a Nolan and uh, there you go. S- switching up the timeline, uh, the narrative structure of my, my podcasts by, fil- you know, recording the podcast episodes out of order. Um, true Nolan fashion. So yeah. Uh yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation on Memento. Look forward to talking about Insomnia next week. Uh we'll take a quick break here and come back uh with a a very short movie news segment and um a really fun movie draft. Um so we will see you in just a second. Hey everyone, thank you for joining us on The Establishing Shot today. We hope you're enjoying the episode so far, and we hope you'll stick around for the segments we have coming up after this quick break. But uh, during this break, I wanted to tell you how you can get more involved with The Establishing Shot podcast. There are several ways you can do this. The main way you can do it is by going to establishingshotpod.com our website where you can find all sorts of information like uh, episodes with the show notes on there, uh, information about our guests for each episode. You can find uh, reviews there 
uh, and uh, there's a page where you can actually leave a review on the website if you want to. You can see all the platforms where the podcast is available, like Apple, Spotify, all the major podcast platforms, and even uh, a link to our YouTube page where you can see a video version of the podcast. So uh, please go to the website. And uh, the place I want to highlight there is our donate page, uh, which has information about our Establishing Shot family. This is a way that you can subscribe to the podcast to support all the efforts and uh, the just the stuff that goes into making this podcast good and making it better than it even is now. We have different tiers that you can subscribe to uh, starting at $5. And what this will do is you'll be able to support the podcast, help me make it better. And also at the same time, you'll get early and ad-free episodes. You'll get access to our Discord server where you can join in and just kind of talking about movies with a community that loves uh, film. And so we, we would love to have you in there. Uh, and then the higher up in the tiers you go, the more you get uh, even things like uh, chats and video chats that we'll do uh, every once in a while where we get to talk about uh, in more detail stuff that we're talking about on the podcast. So I hope you'll subscribe to that. Uh, choose a tier that fits uh, your budget. And uh, I would love for you to support the podcast in that way. And uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about uh, is where you can find us on social media. Uh, you can find me personally on Twitter at the Eli Price. And you can also follow me on Letterboxd. Letterboxd is kind of like a social media for movie reviews. So you can read my reviews there and you can find me there at just Eli Price, you know, no, no spaces or anything. Uh, so I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd. You can find the podcast on all the uh, social platforms as well, such as Twitter at eShotPod and then on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok at EstablishingShotPod. So make sure to follow us so you don't miss anything. If you have uh, any questions or comments about the episode or about the podcast, you can always email us at establishingshotpod at gmail.com. And the very last thing I want to do before you get back into the episode today is just ask you to please go to Spotify and Apple and leave some ratings and reviews that really helps the visibility of the podcast and gets it in more people's podcast feeds. And so we hope you will do that for us and we would greatly appreciate it. So I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode and I will see you next time on the Establishing Shot podcast. Hey, welcome back. Uh, I'm here with uh, Philip uh, Marinello. And uh, yeah, I really had a fun, fun time talking about Memento. And yeah, we're going to jump into our movie news section. Uh, not much to talk about here. And uh, this will be releasing in September. It's kind of like the dead, dead period of, uh, <laughs> of movies uh, coming out. So, um, but something interesting that I noticed, um, there's been the recent re-release of uh, Old Boy in theaters oh um, yep yeah uh, which later is a movie recently. that i haven't seen it's been kind of on my oh, okay. list but i've never seen it um and uh, i probably won't be able to make it to a theater to see but um but then i do also you know about the movie is that one that's like the, unspoiled or do you know all yeah about it's it? unspoiled i i very Christ. vaguely know so i, I okay. probably will stay away from the talk about it 
in the reboot. I've seen some uh like letterbox interviews of people and I'm like, uh, I don't really want to hear what people are saying. Yeah. Sort no, of thing. That's yeah, that's absolutely one to go into unspoiled if you're able. Yeah. Yeah, so uh yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that eventually. Like if you're if you value your time and you really want to watch the remake, okay, that's really one where you do not need to watch the remake. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I've heard. It usually like if something is below a 3.0 on Letterboxd, it's like, oh, probably. Oh, shoot. It's a 2.1. Honestly, yeah. kind of rightly so. I'd yeah. probably give it like a two, two and a half. Yeah, it's it, 2.1 is pretty brutal to me, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. If it's the original is 4.4. Right. Uh, but yeah, which is crazy that it's a Spike Lee movie, the remake. Yeah. I don't know if that um, was just the studio assigned it to him or what, but yeah, yeah it was. I don't know. It was something. Yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know. I am looking forward to eventually catching up with old boy. It will not be in theaters because I can't even really make it. Like I said, to make out to see uh, Oppenheimer, so I, more much less old boy. Um, but I did notice too uh, coming up. I think right around the time this releases, either like that weekend or maybe the next weekend, um, the A24, I think, is put like working on re-releasing uh, Stop Making Sense. Yes. Um, which, man, I when I saw that, I texted, I have a group of friends here in, in Lafayette that we talk about movies, mostly, you know, just texting back and forth. But uh, I had texted that to them. And I was like, if this comes out here, that would be really fun to all go go see it um because you know i've only seen it i've seen it at home and um it was such uh it's one of those movies that like at the end of the the movie you know it's a concert film uh, yeah, but i haven't I seen just, it yet i was getting ready it? to watch it on streaming but then yeah. they pulled it because they were remastering it for the 4k yeah like literally one of my movie friends recommended it for me i got like a sign to watch it mm -hmm. and then i was like oh it's streaming on canopy and then it was pulled from canopy because of the re-release oh so man i still have yet to see it yeah it's it's a really really fun experience it's one of those that like when i saw they were re-releasing it in theaters i was like that would be really fun to experience in theaters um just because it's it's a concert film but it's not like a typical like there's a lot of like purpose behind the way it was like filmed very obviously. And um, it's not just, you're not just watching a concert. Um, you're like watching a performance, um, which is really fun. And it's one of those movies that like ends. And I was just like smiling when it ended because it was so fun. Um, it's such, like uh, such it a good fantastic. time. Yeah. So I, uh, Re like re-releasing movies is just something that I think needs to happen more. Um, I think uh, I've uh, I'm on record as saying that Disney should just re-release the originals instead of doing live-action remakes. Yeah, um, I'd love to see a lot of those in the theater again. Yeah, I, I I didn't see a lot of those old movies in theaters. You know, I. I was bored in the middle of the well, yeah, revival like the, the classic era. era. Yeah. Yeah. Pre Lion King. Like I didn't see Aladdin or little mermaid in theaters. I think Lion King was probably my first theatrical one. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's like 
man, I would love to go see Pinocchio in theaters or, you know, sure. some of those old, I would go watch Fantasia in Sleeping theaters. I think beauty. that would be fun. I would love to see in a theater. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like this, maybe this is like the beginning of a trend. I don't know. Um, like my local theater has, um, I think it's called like flashback cinema. So like, nice. um, the, like I was able to see the Godfather in theaters cause they, they had it. Um, they played it. Um, yeah. So you, you get some with theaters doing stuff like that. I, I know a lot of theaters do similar things. Um, but yeah, there's not like a big media push behind it. With these two, there's been like this huge media push of this is re-releasing in theaters. Um, well, yeah, A24 took over the release, I guess, with the yeah. new 4K. And it's it's getting a lot of buzz, which is cool. Yeah, it, it is very cool. And I, I would love to see that become a trend. Like... um like maybe a 24 will take it upon themselves to do this with more films. Um, if this does well, I hope it does. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's, it's an experience to see something on a big screen that you just don't get, you know, at home that, you know, there's a lot of movies that it's like, well, you know, just watch it at home. <laughs> but, um, sure. but yeah, there's, there's so many movies that would just be so, fun and such a cool experience to see on the big screen. I felt that way about when I was able to see the Godfather on the big screen because it came out, you know, a couple of decades before I was born, that, <laughs> you know, a re-release in theaters is the only way no. I would have been I was able to see that it. I didn't way. get to see that. I get to see like one of my local theaters here. They're always playing old stuff, but when that, mm -hmm. I was bummed. I didn't get to see the Godfather. I still haven't seen that in the theater yet. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a, it's a cool experience. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything that interesting to say about it other than, man, I really hope this becomes like a thing, um, that happens more often. Um, not just like theaters playing old movies, but there being, you know, big media pushes behind it to kind of like grow. You would think they would do that more because like, they own it already. How much right. money would they have to put out to be like, oh, like, I mean, James Cameron has done it a ton. Like, that's how he's keeps up in his box office. I feel like right. every five years, Titanic comes back and <laughs> millions of people go see it because right. it's a super great theatrical experience. Yeah. And um, now he gets to keep putting Avatar back out as he's releasing the next like 10 Avatar hey, movies. <laughs> I loved seeing the first one in the theater. Yeah, and then it I was wrote fun. it off, and then I wrote it off, and then the second one came out, and we got uh, press screenings for the podcast, and I was like, "Man, this is a freaking blast!" I forgot, like, it's so good, <laughs> and I'm like, "I'm in, whatever, I don't care." Like, if he wants to make four more, I'd wish he'd make other movies, but like, he's telling the stories he wants to tell, right? In Pandora, so whatever. Yeah, like I'll yeah, take that, it. The my favorite parts of that of way of water were just like the visual aspects like the the whole there's that whole middle section where they're just like exploring the, it's the underwater like the, it's the so sea good. it's fun so good um i didn't like a lot of the rest of the movie but that part was like so fun <laughs> yeah, i i had a i haven't rewatched it yet i would like to but because it's also very long i had a yes. blast in the theater it was so immersive 
And like the man knows storytelling. Anyway, all that to say, I agree. I would love to see more studio pushes on. Yeah. Just good movies. Yeah. Make new movies. I want new movies to be made, but yeah, it would be great to see the classics as Mm -hmm. well. For sure. Uh, Yeah. But that, with that said, I think we are ready to jump into our movie draft segment. Um, I thought it would be a fun uh, category to draft from uh, alongside Memento uh, to think about movies that deal with like memory loss and memory manipulation. Um, so, yeah, that that's kind of what we're going to draft from. Uh, so any movie that deals with memory loss, memory manipulation, you know, do with that what you will. I didn't really give any stipulations to you, uh, Philip, other than that. Um, So I kind of left it up to you to decide what movies fit into that category. Uh, Are we going back? So what's the goal? Are we trying, I've done this before and I listen sometimes. Are we just trying to make our favorite or the best? Like I I always end up doing a little bit of both. uh, Okay. Because I do put this up for vote. Uh, It's kind of, uh, I like it. People okay. like voting on who drafted the best, the best set of movies. Um, okay, perfect. And uh, so like, but I always end up like my heart won't let me like go away from Same. some of my favorites. <laughs> and so it's hurt. It's, it's helped me in some drafts and hurt me in others where like I went with my heart and everyone was like, no, we like this. Other, we like the guy that picked the more popular movies. Sure. Like, okay. Well, at least maybe now you've heard of this movie. <laughs> I'll see if I can do a little bit of both. Okay. So who's going first? We're going back yeah. and forth. Yeah. We'll go back and forth. Uh, I always give my, my first time guests first pick uh, because that's what I do. It's not because I'm generous. Well, um, Huh. I've got a list of a few here. I don't have 10, so if we all pick the same ones, I might need to get a little bit creative here at the end. Sounds um, good. I mean, Let's after talking about this, man, I, I'll say Memento, if that's okay. <laughs> I usually it's, take the, the movie okay, of discussion we'll take off it, the okay. board. Then I will go, I mean, it's it's heart and it's... um. A, a canon great we've already brought it up and that's blade runner it's mm. it's one of my top three favorite movies of all time and it's it's endlessly rewatchable and it's all about identity and and memories and yeah and what it is to be human so i'll say blade runner yeah yeah and it is interesting so like I, I think probably most people would be like, oh, Blade Runner's like about memory loss and manipulation. And yeah, it's it. There's a sense in which like he he doesn't know if his memories are real or not sort of thing. Um, and, well, that's, yeah, and the people he's hunting down to a degree don't know that they're androids either because they have right. been implanted with memories. Right. Yeah. Not necessarily against their will, but outside of their will. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I so yeah, that's that's one that I didn't even have on my list because it wasn't it just wasn't like on my radar of thinking of it in that way. But very much that's the first one that popped into my mind because there's seems funny. like you're talking about memories like that's yeah that's deeply yeah and obviously so there you go my my number one not even on your list I didn't even obviously take popped into Nolan's head too because yeah <laughs> yeah um so yeah Blade Runner first pick uh i'm gonna go with um 
it's it's tough so i have a few that would be more heart picks and this one is i would say this one is less of a heart pick but one a movie that i really 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 like that is very good uh and probably a more popular one um so maybe similar to blade runner like a heart and popular pick uh and that's uh eternal sunshine of the spotless mind nice um great probably one of the best uses of jim carrey um that we got in in his career i would say um but yeah i don't really know it's one of those movies that like since this is not the topic of discussion i don't really want to spoil it um it's i think it's better experienced um not really knowing what you're getting into going in um it's a it is very much a unique experience of a well, movie. It, it's, I mean, it's very much part of the elevator pitch. If you just read the synopsis or watch the trailer, but yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's, that's a very good movie. That was definitely yeah. on my list. Yeah. It's kind of in the title too, I guess a little bit. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. That's good. I mean, I'll, I'll do another populist one. Cause I have a few others here as well, but wonderful movie. It's, broadly this is probably one of the ones that kind of re got memory loss and amnesia kind of back on everybody's mind uh, i'll go with the born identity that's mm. i don't rewatch it often but whenever i do i'm like no that's really good but i'm like was that is that not as good as i remember i've only watched it like three or four times but yeah it's every time i've revisited it it's been satisfying yeah, it it is one of those movies. I think it's partly because it's such an action movie, and we're always like questionable of like, was that action movie really that good? And you were watching, yeah. you're like, yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> uh, I feel like like the Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible movies are similar. It's like, was it really that good? And it's like, oh yeah, I've, I haven't revisited all of them, but with the new one, I've revisited a number of them. And- they're all good, even yeah. two, which is strange. is is pretty good. Yeah, it's enjoyable at, at the very least. Um, yeah, I'll uh, that yeah, that was one that was definitely on my list. This one is gonna be less popular. I actually, I actually think I picked it uh, several episodes ago, and we did a desert movie draft for the Asteroid City episode. Okay. Um, and uh, I'm going to go with a movie that I love. Um, it's like a five-star movie for me, and that's Paris, Texas, the oh, uh, okay. Wim Wenders film. That's which is all-timer for me. I guess that is. Yeah. I mean, he literally, the guy walks out of the desert not knowing who he is, and like his brother finds him, and um, it's him kind of like, you know, rediscovering who he is, why he, he left his family. Um fan i mean it's just a devastating final 20 minutes yes absolutely that was a uh a criterion collection introduction for me i just picked it up because i thought the cover was striking and yeah that's that's an all-timer for me as well yeah sweet yeah there so there's one that you didn't have on on yours yeah so should have Like, I know that popular. I'll go. So this is one that is having a bit of a resurgence now. Um, I've seen a number of people talk about it, and I think 
I eventually was finally sold on checking it out due to a letterboxed top four show. Somebody had it in their top four, mm. talked about it for about 15, 20 minutes or so. That's um, Strange Days, I think, okay. from the late 90s. Catherine Bigelow, have you seen that one? I haven't. But so that is, it seems like a know, Bigelow that I would enjoy. So, yeah, I, I don't know why it didn't hit when it came out or kind of since then. Like, it's absolutely having a resurgence now. But it is about a – briefly. Um, <sighs> so it's about a guy who – Basically, like real life VR, you can like plug in and experience memories, or like you can have like not VR, but like you can it you like you put nodes on your head and like mm -hmm. it stimulates your nervous system. So like there is extreme sports, there's violence, there's sex, there's like whatever you want. You mm -hmm. can like plug into this thing and experience somebody's real memory mm. and it's um there's it's a thriller cop romance like there's a lot of different things going on yeah um, i would imagine there's thrilling a... and fantastic yeah and, like there's a lot of social stuff too like um with the police and yeah, yeah. all that as well like it's it's a wonderful movie that i'm shocked especially being in the film loving world up until the last year or so, I had heard nobody talk about this, but people are, are talking about it again, and I checked it out uh, recently, earlier this year, and it's it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I think the only reason that it, that it was familiar is because I heard someone talking about Catherine Bigelow in a podcast recently and was like, oh, yeah, what? what films what all films is Catherine Bigelow made and so really just like it's the title like I don't really know anything about it um no it's it's yeah. phenomenal yeah, uh but yeah some extreme Ralph Fiennes so. I just look look was looking yeah. at it Ralph Fiennes is in it which is that's you know that's a pull in and of itself uh, <laughs> yeah no I I'm sure that in the next couple of years I don't know about Criterion or Arrow. Somebody, somebody's going to put out a loaded Blu-ray or 4K of it, and it's going to. I think it'll come back into the canon and be a a widely recognized classic. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. I, yeah, I'm going to have to try to check that out. Uh, see if it's streaming somewhere. Um, yeah. My my next pick uh is. I'm not sure if it's like a popular pick. It's definitely like a well-respected and regarded like critical uh, pick. Um, uh, but I'm going to go with uh, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. Nice. That um, was one of my stretch picks here, which uh, we have a re-release coming to my local theater here in a couple of weeks that I'm hoping to okay. catch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just it's one of those movies that's like, I mean, this is David Lynch's M.O., but it's just that waking dream movie sort of movie where, like, you the movie ends and you don't know what in the world you just experienced, but you know you experienced something. Yep. <laughs> and um, masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a great movie. Obviously, like one of the the main characters doesn't know who she is, so there you have the memory loss factor there. Um, but like, that's like, f 
funny enough, that's like the least mysterious thing sure, <laughs> going yeah. on in the movie <laughs> is is the memory loss, which doesn't, you know, I guess like makes sense when you realize it's a David Lynch movie. Uh, but yeah, um, just like an incredible piece of filmmaking and like, um, yeah, I, I don't really have much to say on it that people haven't already said, so... <laughs> But yeah, no, Mulholland it's Drive. a very rich text for sure. Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, I will go with another one that is both popular and because of its popularity, I think it's almost underrated actually. But uh, a couple of years ago, I watched it again and I'll say Fifty First Dates is a blast. Yes, that's I don't on really, my list. I don't like. I when I was younger I liked Adam Sandler a lot more. Now I respect him. I'm very happy that he gets to make whatever movies he wants. But yeah. I I really think that 50 First Dates is maybe his one of his best because it's funny, it's juvenile, it's silly, but it is also mm-hmm. very heartfelt in a way that I feel like 50 First Dates and Click are the two that really stand out to me as being like mature immature movies yeah yeah absolutely um and sorry about your brain it's i've has been in my lexicon ever since it came out like my wife and i and my friends <laughs> like that that's line. that is something that i say all the time <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's great i totally forgot that you know that was a line it's been a long time since i've seen it but i remember when the last time i did watch it i was like you know that's a fun movie that's and it is, it is heartfelt. Um, it, there's a, there's a genuine like care for the characters. I think um, in that movie that you don't necessarily get in a rom-com. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely there. I think it's a, a really fun movie and yeah, it probably is a little bit underrated. Um, Cause it's Adam underappreciated. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I'm trying to figure out where I want to go with my next pick. Um, but I don't imagine my final pick will be taking one from you. We'll see. Yeah, I have. So I have, it's, it's one of those things where like, I have several more that I want to take, um, but I can only fit in so many. We'll have to do some, uh, honorable mentions for sure. Oh, sure. Um, but yeah, I'll probably go. So this is uh, this is definitely a pop going to be like a popular pick. Like, let's grab some votes with this one. Sure. But it's also, to be fair, one of my favorite. I think probably my my top two or three MCU movies, um, and that's Captain America: Winter Soldier. Um, so huh. obviously, okay. Bucky yeah, Barnes. Yeah, yeah. Bucky Barnes comes is the the main you know one of the main antagonists and his whole thing is he is he kind of doesn't remember who he is has been being used there you uh, go by hydra um and uh yeah i I just think this is a really fun action movie thriller kind of it it's i don't know it's one of my favorite mcu movies Um, Uh, yeah absolutely i uh i'm I'm pretty low on a lot of MCU movies that people love. Um, like I'm pretty low on Infinity War and um, 
I'm very like middling on Endgame. <laughs> those are like higher on Endgame than Infinity War, huh? A, a tiny bit. Interesting. Um, uh, I appreciated. Uh, it's kind of a mixed feeling because I I appreciate how it starts. Um, it, it I feel like it starts with settling into some grief and you know all that stuff. Um, and then like goes off the walls. Those last with... two movies, though, it's kind of impossible. Like, because they were the culmination of like yeah. twenty two or twenty three movies. Like, they almost weren't even movies. They were like an right. event. So they're kind of right. hard to quantify, even. Yeah, I just had so much like m- like MCU fatigue by that point. I was just like, I don't. That I was don't the peak anymore. for me since Endgame. Yeah, it's been rough. But uh, yeah, that's fair. But yeah, this one, uh, twenty fourteen. So I mean, you're like what, two thousand eight was yeah. Iron Man. So yeah, this really was like peak MCU. Um, and uh, I I probably have watched this a couple of times since it came out. Um, and every time I I remember watching it, I'm just like, man, that's just a really fun, thrilling movie. Um, funny enough, I don't really think that they're the first Captain America is all that great. <laughs> but yeah, this I one like I it fine. But yeah, no, Winter Soldier is definitely a solid pick. For sure. Um, that way I can just go with my heart for the last pick. Nice. <laughs> but what's, your, what's your last pick going to be? So this is very much the heart. I think that over the years, I mean, I think already it's recognized as a classic, but I don't think it has broken out large yet. But for my final one, this was... I think the first new movie I watched this year that I gave five stars to, it came out last year as uh, Koganada's After Yang. Um, yes. Uh, it's a, a near future, very kind of lo-fi, sci-fi. Um, mm-hmm. I I described it as Blade Runner by way of Terrence Malick. It's, uh, this family has... Yeah. Uh, an android sibling for their daughter whose battery has died and they're trying to find a way to fix him and revive him and it's all about unlocking the world and his memories and seeing what he valued and kind of how he mm-hmm. processed the world and how a an, an artificially created being kind of processed the, the beauty and the meaning of of our world and it's just it's incredible yeah it it was one of my favorite movies like my one of my favorite 2022 releases um, yeah it's up there high for me i i didn't get to see it in theaters i'm so upset yeah, um, i didn't either <laughs> um man it's an incredible movie it um it's one of those that like is uh, is like takes its time very slow it's kind of like anti a lot of like ai sci-fi movies yeah, in a, no it's in very a very serene and slow paced mm-hmm. very um but man Malikian. like brought me to tears at one point um and i didn't even think about it in the terms of this draft um or else i would have had it on my list for sure but yeah i mean you're he's he's looking into the memories and memories that were kind of like hidden yeah um from his from his android uh yeah didn't even think about that but man it if you haven't seen um 
either of Koganada's films, I highly recommend After Yang and Columbus. One of um, them, I think we might lean towards Columbus. One of those movies will be a uh, on the substantive cinema in the the near future here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be that would be either of those would be fantastic to cover, uh, for sure. Um, my last pick. I don't get the chance very often to draft documentaries um, in these drafts. So I'm going to take my opportunity and I'm going to go with a movie called Dick Johnson is dead. Very nice. Um, Yeah. Have you seen it? I'm not, I know the movie. I I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's by um, a documentary filmmaker, Kirsten Johnson. Um, She, uh, she has a movie called camera person. Um, it deals with uh i haven't seen camera person so i can't really speak that much to it um but dick johnson is dead is kind of her she kind of like filmed her experience of her father um losing his memories as he gets pro- his alzheimer's progresses um and it's just this um i don't know it's a very like incredibly like poignant look at personhood um like what makes someone who they are and how memories play into that and you know how you how you deal with loot like as you have someone that's close to you you know begin to lose their memories and lose who they are because of that um how you slowly feel like you're losing them uh, before they're gone. Um, it's, and all that <laughs> sounds very like incredibly sad, which parts of it are very incredibly moving, but also the way she does it is she, <laughs> she basically like her dad agrees to, uh, work on her with filming these different ways that he might po- yeah. potentially die, <laughs> which turned out to be extremely comical. Um, and funny and like her dad is a, a great sport and like you can tell he's kind of having fun with it too sure um like they they film this uh reenactment of him like being like impelled by <laughs> by something on the street that or something like falls on him like an air conditioner from an from a, a high-rise apartment or something like that um they uh so it's like it's this really fun mix of like comedy and like dramatic, uh, I guess like real, the, it's a documentary. So like the real experience of, of losing someone as they lose their memory, um, highly recommend it. It's on Netflix right now. So, um, it's a, it's a 90 minute movie. So not that long. Um, and just like, both like a really fun movie and an incredibly moving movie. Um, I think so. Yeah. Dick Johnson is dead. That's my, my heart pick. It's not going to give me any votes, but now people will maybe go try to watch it. (laughs) No, it's, that's one that I know I will like, and it will wreck me. I just haven't. Yeah. You only have so much time to get through your watch list. Right. Um, yeah, that. I, I think we're good. I think um, there's definitely some. I have honorable mentions. Um, yep. Uh, uh, one of them that I actually there's a couple that I caught up with recently. Um, 
knowing that I was going to do this draft one was uh, the Manchurian Candidate. Okay, um, the original or the remake? Uh, I'm assuming it's the original. It's the 62 yep. version. Um, I didn't even know there was a remake, to be honest. Yeah, Denzel Washington was in the remake. That's true. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's Jonathan Demme. I didn't even realize that. It was okay. Um, the original is much better. Yeah, the original was really... Um, like, there's these dream sequences where, like, the actor, like, they're remembering what happened in their dream, but they were, like, under a, they were brainwashed. And so, like, it's like jumping back and forth between um, old ladies and, and the, like, Russian and Chinese people who are brainwashing them. And it's actually, like, really playful and, like, creative way to, like, view that like messed up memory after you've been brainwashed. Um, yeah, that it was a fun movie. Um, I probably like didn't like it quite as much as it seems like most people have. It's Um, very good. Yeah, it is very good. It's, it's undeniably, it's undeniable that it's a a well-made movie. So that's Um, one that I was telling you, my dad showed me that when I was a kid and now it's in the criterion collection. Yeah. Yeah. I I would probably wait, wait a while to show this to my four year old, but yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 (laughs) Saw Um, it when I was a bit older. Yeah. Um, another one, um, that I caught up with recently, like I said, I've been kind of on a slowly watching Hitchcock when I can. And this was a good chance to catch up with spellbound, which, um, which was really good. Um, it's, uh, Ingrid, Ingrid Bergman, um, and Gregory Peck. So you got some great powerhouse acting there. And, um, I think it gets a little too muddled up in interest in psychoanalysis. Um, which is funny because it's, it's like Christopher Nolan in that way. Like that's one of the critiques of Nolan sometimes is that he gets too caught up in his ideas. Um, that like all of the dialogue revolves around these ideas and makes the characters less interesting. And I think that spellbound has a little bit of that. Um, but still a really fun, interesting movie. Um, and you know, very much an old Hitchcock movie. I think it's a, yeah, 45, 1945. But yeah, um, another one that's like a, you can almost put any like Tarkovsky movie in here because they're all like playing with memory in some way. Um, I would have loved to draft Solaris, but I, (laughs) I drafted it. Yeah, Solaris Um, is on my, um, actually I like the Tarkovsky and the Soderbergh Solaris. Okay. Uh, Maybe I I could have gone Soderbergh Soderbergh for the pick, but yeah, no, those are both on my Solaris slash Solaris on my, uh. Like I probably won't pick these, but they yeah they were on my list. Yeah, it's it's one of I I've loved um all the Tarkovsky I've seen, and um that's probably one of the higher rated movies on my list that I didn't pick. Um, but uh, I don't want to spoil the draft for next week, so I won't <laughs> I won't talk any more about that. Um, but yeah, there there's some others on here. I mean, you got Finding Nemo and Finding Dory. I considered to... Finding Nemo. I was like, that would be I did a too. popular pick. Right. But Finding yeah. Nemo wasn't enough about yeah. the memory, and I like Finding Dory far less. So. Yeah, I felt exactly the same. I was like, well, it's not that important 
part of the movie. Um, and yeah, I didn't really care a whole lot for, for finding Dory. <laughs> um, yeah. Moon. Have you seen moon? Yeah. Sam Rockwell. Yeah. That's in a way, um, is that a with... memory? I don't remember. <sighs> In a similar way that, like, a movie like um, Blade Runner is in the sense that, like, he's... I don't want to spoil it. He's losing his mind? No. I, I um, saw it once or twice, and I really liked it, but I don't remember a lot yeah, of the specifics. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll tell you as soon as we we wrap up. Because uh, I don't want to... Because it would be a huge spoiler to talk about how... how I remember how you really str- liking Moon. It's a bit of a stretch to put it in the, mem- the memory thing okay. but but i think it fits um yeah i mean, if you want to go uh comedy you yeah, have the hangover um, okay sure yeah yeah that would be a um, huge populist pick yeah yep um it's been picked uh in a in a it was picked in a draft not long ago which um so i was like oh, i'll just leave that on on the board um i didn't even I know consider I picked that paris texas again but that was a like i said just a, one of my a huge favorite for me. So yeah. Yeah. Well, did you have any, any that uh, were left on your list? Yeah. We didn't we'll go go, with? I mean, well, one of the more like obvious ones that came to mind, I don't love it as much as, as many do, but uh Verhoeven's total recall is a classic. Yeah. I haven't uh, seen it. So I, I like it. it. I, I, I respect it probably more than I like it, but like, I it's an undeniable, very entertaining, very well-made movie. Mm-hmm. Um, a Dark City was another one I thought about, but I'm sure it's not going to win any votes. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah, haven't it seen starts that with a guy who loses his memory. It's uh, kind of another future tech noir type story. Um, this one, it's it's not cheating, but. It, the idea of like in the memento, like the stories we tell, like can maybe change rea- or like the people's perceptions have become true. Uh, I considered stretching it for uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance. That, uh, <laughs> that would I don't know be if you've really seen that. Stretch. that. That's yeah. a bit of it, but like the whole, like that's how the whole movie turns on that. Um, yeah. And then I'm a big Scorsese guy. I considered Shutter Island as well. Yeah, I, I feel considered like Shutter Island too. Leo is a big draw, and I feel like an under-respected movie. I because yeah. Scorsese's high or so high, like I feel like a lot of people are like, eh, this is like just sort of genre churn, and I think people really misunderstand Shutter Island. I don't yeah. think the ending is a twist. I think, I think what many people refer to as the twist in Shutter Island is very clear. And I think the real thing that the movie hinges on is the decision that the character makes when he has the realization that any discerning audience member will have nearly immediately and the choice he makes when he realizes what's going on. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, it's nowhere near the top of Scorsese's body of work, but I think it's, I think it's an excellent film that yeah. uh, doesn't get quite enough respect. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, I think on, 
surprisingly on Letterboxd, it has a 4.1, which I did Heck not expect. yeah. All right. What's uh, the... So... How many people have uh, logged that? I mean, you have 368,000 four-star right, reviews. Oh, right, guys. That's so, what's up. Okay. So Letterboxd that's, comes through sometimes. That's respectable. Sometimes it's better. It's more. Um, it's more hopeful to go on Letterboxd and look at ratings. I than completely it is to look agree. At user ratings on IMDb. No, don't look at IMDb <laughs> or the tomato. Like Letterboxd has really replaced everything for me. Yeah. Like yeah. the people who love movies are on Letterboxd. Right. There's some people who like to be trolls or whatever, but it's Letterboxd is is absolutely my go-to place for uh, consensus. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the people, the letterbox four point one. That's kind of shocking. I was I was surprised too. I was expecting like three point eight. Yeah, I was like, it feels like a three point eight. I would be happy if it was above three point (laughs) five. Letterbox. Yeah, Yeah, that is very surprising. Um, It's great. That's one of the few movies that I have literally just watched back to back when I first watched it. Yeah, I probably did too, because I think I saw it when I was in college. Um, yeah, I think I, I think it was in. Um, it was one of those that like me and my roommate went to Walmart, and it was in like the five dollar bin. And oh, we were nice. like, "Oh, let's watch this." <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah that that's a great one. Scorsese is one of my favorite. Uh, directors. So. Those are my. Uh, I, I know Liberty Valance was a bit of a stretch, but those are my. Uh, Liberty Valance is a fantastic movie. I was this um, close to uh, getting Leonard Moulton to come on my show to talk about Liberty Valance during COVID, okay. but that did not yeah, work wow. out. Yeah, I caught up with that not that long ago. It was actually um, the film spotting. Uh, which we talked about their podcast does like the March madness style uh, bracket tournament. And it was, um, it was like best of the sixties. Nice. And that was one, no, it's, that was one that I hadn't seen. And so I was like, it's oh, a yeah. masterpiece. Yeah. It's, and it's very, fantastic. very relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the age yeah, of it holds up fake news and all that. Yep. Yeah. Fake news. And then like, uh, just like the, the morality of like how you choose to go about issuing justice, I think is still relevant. Yeah. People, um, the public's desire for the strong man and all that, right. like it's mm-hmm. super relevant movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I would say a, a definite stretch for, for the memory <laughs> loss and manipulation draft, but I'm glad we got to recommend it here, here at the end of the show. Um, yeah. I, I guess at this point we can kind of close. Well, let me read out. I always, uh, sometimes I forget. Let me read out our, our drafts, final draft, uh, picks. And, uh, then we'll, we'll close out with some recommendations of the week. Um, so Philip ended up with Blade Runner, the born identity, strange days, 51st dates and after Yang. And I ended up with eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, Paris, Texas, Mulholland drive, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and Dick John- Dick Johnson is dead. So I think we did really well. I think we both ended up with really good lists there. So um, where uh who votes on these polls? So when uh the Monday after it releases, I will I'll post the poll. I, I do it 
in a Instagram story and on the Facebook page. And, All right. Um, so whenever that happens, you know, make sure you, uh, I've had, I've gotten like destroyed before because one of my guests <laughs> like recruited her army of, um, of friends to vote for her. And sure. I was like, man, I really, she really outdid me with, <laughs> with getting people to vote for her. So, so, you know, if you want to recruit a recruit an army of people to vote for your, my friends, my friends are too objective. They're like, "Hey, sorry, man, I like the other person's list more." <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll see. But yeah, it'll go up. Um, so I always post them. I I guess I've never really plugged that on the show before, but on the the on I usually try to post it on all three of. Um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So on Twitter and Facebook, obviously, it's just like a post with a poll. And then on Instagram, it's usually in the story, and it'll run for you know twenty four hours. Sure. Um, Monday to Monday around lunch to Tuesday around lunch. So nice. Yeah, if you've if you never vote on those, like be looking for that the the Monday after it releases, and go go vote for who you think. Uh, who do you think had the best draft? I, I always have a good time with it. Um, I've won a lot of them. I've lost some. Um, yeah, it's it's fun. People like well, people I, enjoy voting. I, on I stuff look like forward that. to seeing how that turns out. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Did you did you have a recommendation of the week you wanted to share? Okay, yeah, recommendation of the week. Give me just a moment. So, I have recently done. I get sucked into, and I love doing them, a lot of little, like, specific, like, themes for my watching, like, little journeys that I go on. Yeah. Um, I recently, you mentioned film spotting a few times. I recently had Josh Larson uh, film spotting and Think Christian uh, back on our show for a second time because uh, he has a new book out um, on horror. And what we can, uh, it's called Fear Not, A Christian Appreciation of Horror. And it's all about mm -hmm. how um, by examining the things that scare us, like what we can learn about ourselves. And yeah, really great book, really great conversation. Look for that in a few weeks. Um, by the time this is out, we'll probably only have to wait a couple weeks, uh, only a week or two for it. But my biggest revelation, I I'd seen a lot of the movies he referenced. So I wanted to kind of fill in some gaps and try to pick one or two from some specific categories because he's got like eight or nine categories. So um, I ended up watching and loving, uh, and I didn't realize it was in the Criterion Collection until after I watched it, but uh, 1942, uh, Jacques Tournier's Cat People. Uh, okay. Really, really wonderful. Are you familiar with Cat People? I am not, not in the least bit, honestly. Paul Schrader made a very, a very horny and very bizarre remake in the eighties. But okay. this came out in nineteen forty-two. It's about a uh, a Serbian immigrant who comes to the states and um, courts and marries this man, but she was kind of raised in a strict, uh, essentially like a strict mystic fundamentalist. Uh, upbringing and she was kind mm -hmm. of taught that when she lets her des like when she gives into her desires that it's like evil and bad and like 
she becomes like a, a panther, like a feral cat. So she tries to keep them at bay. And this movie is about her, her fear of like, and even like as a married woman, like mm-hmm. engaging in her desires, like that she's gonna end up destroying the man she loves. It's, it's a very fascinating movie that's shockingly relevant and progressive from the studio system in 1942. So yeah. I, I loved it. I wonder uh, if it would make a good double feature with Turning Red, the Pixar movie. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think so. Uh, but it's it was wonderful. And yeah. I concept wise, that sounds similar. That's what it made when you were describing it. I was like, that sounds a little bit like Turning Red. <laughs> uh, could could be. Uh, like that could definitely make it an interesting double feature for sure. Uh, yeah, I'll be getting that on the next. Uh, the November Criterion sale. I'll probably be picking okay. that up. Yeah, I, that's one that's like totally off my radar. So that uh, I love it when a recommendation comes for something I'm just like totally unaware of. Uh, so it is now on my watch list for Letterboxd. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so this week uh, I'm, I'm going to recommend... Um, actually a show uh that i have not i'm not completely caught up with it um but uh i i enjoy um dc characters um i've done i haven't caught kept up with the comics in a long time but there is a there's a a few years where i was really keeping up with a lot of the dc comics um really into it uh but um but yeah I just really enjoy the the characters uh in DC and so um I I still haven't seen the Flash uh it's streaming now so I might I watch, just saw yeah it dropped it. I was like, yeah yes. two hour almost two and a half hours <laughs> yeah that's why I haven't gotten to it yet um but I'll yeah check it out sometime the Flash is actually my favorite DC character okay and so I'm I'm it's one of those that I like I'm looking forward to the movie cause it's my favorite character, but also like not looking forward to it. Cause I don't want, I hope they don't like mess it up sort of thing. Um, well, I'll tell you a really but, uh, wonderful writer is about to take over the series. Uh, the comics, okay. if you ever want to tune back in. Yeah, I did see that. I did see that actually. Um, I might check them out. I know there's some, uh, you can get them digitally now. So I might look into that. Um, but that's not my recommendation because I haven't seen it. My recommendation is for uh, a new uh, animated show um, that's on being released on Max um, called uh, My Adventures with Superman. Um, and uh, it's these, you know, 20, 20 so minute, uh, you know, animated episodes, uh, a little animated show. And um, honestly, it's just kind of like, I just kind of throw it on while I eat lunch um, sort of show. Um, I don't have to pay that close attention. And there it's not like it's, it's not a recommendation because like it's, Oh, it's profound or amazing or whatever. It's just kind of like an enjoyable throw this on and watch kind of show. Um, It's very much like kid friendly. um, It looks uh, good. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. It's just, it, it's reminiscent of when like the justice league show was really good. Um, oh, such a good show. It, 
yeah, it's not like um, it's just like endearing. Um, the you, it's kind of like the beginning of Superman and Lois Lane and uh, at uh, the Daily Planet, and so like their relationship is budding, and it's so it's like cute in that way, and um, it's very much like I don't know if you're an adult and you really don't watch anything that's made for kids, you probably won't enjoy it because it it it's very much like made for kids to be able to enjoy. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I'll, I enjoy watching, you know, shows like that every once in a while. And I think Superman is sometimes like he gets a bad rap for just being like, uh, he's not an interesting character cause he's just too strong. Um, but the best Superman comics are like really some of the best, comic yeah. books in general i think and so this show is really fun just kind of him figuring out who he's gonna be um is uh it's good so far i've watched i think there's it's gonna finish with like 10 episodes i think nine of them are out now and i've seen six of them um and it's it's fun um yeah so that's my recommendation recommendation of the week my Very adventures nice. with superman streaming on max so not a sponsor, uh, <laughs> but if you if they want to send some money my way, they they're welcome to. You know, I'm not opposed to it. Um, but yeah, that's uh, so that's the show. Um, Philip, why don't you? Uh, I, you've talked about uh, the Substance podcast already, but um, why don't you uh, kind of share where people can follow you and the show? Yeah, I mean, I. I'm Philip Marinello uh, with one L and Philip on all the things, letterbox, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. And then my podcast, the substance, we are the substance pod on all the main platforms. Uh, but yeah, if, if you like movies, we got a lot of great movies. I'll maybe even send you the, uh, the letterbox list that I update of all the substantive cinema movies uh, that we've yeah. covered. Yeah. We, we've uh, like I said, we've had Josh Larson, the last two guests we've had were actually Letterboxd employees who, if you listen to the Letterboxd show podcast, you've heard them. We've had, who have we had? We've had Brett McCracken from the Gospel Coalition. We've had Alyssa mm. Wilkinson from Vox. We've had Tyler Huckabee and Kevin McLenathan from Seeing and Believing. It's We, we love movies and mm -hmm. we, we sometimes get really great guests on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we also have stuff that covers like... Uh, the church calendar, liturgies, theology, social issues. We've had uh, a lot of wonderful guests. And back when I had regular co-hosts, we would cover topics ourselves. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, it's it's a great time. We just launched our Patreon, so me and my editor might be making some new episodes ourselves, depending on how well the Patreon does. But yeah, the substance great. has been a blast or somewhere in the 130s probably when this mm -hmm. comes out and uh we, we plan on going for a long time yeah that's awesome um yeah i i caught up with it recently um uh we we connected and um yeah i checked out the podcast i i really enjoyed um uh everything everywhere all at once y'all did an episode on that that was a really great episode um yeah i, I look forward to to digging into more more of y'all stuff for sure um but uh i'll make sure to link link all that in the show notes so people can find it easily if they if um 
uh, Natalie and their life hit all their pins and they couldn't write it down, then, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> have no fear. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. You can just click the link. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed having you on Philip. Um, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, uh, yeah, it's, that's, that's it for this week. Uh, look forward to, um, talking about insomnia next week. Uh, but until then, uh, you've been listening to the establishing shot and, uh, yeah, I've been Eli Price for Philip Marinello. We will see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us on The Establishing Shot today. We hope you enjoyed the episode and got a lot out of it. Make sure before you go to like and subscribe uh, on all your podcast platforms, and especially on Spotify and Apple. If you could leave a rating and review, that would greatly help the visibility of the podcast, and I would greatly appreciate it. Again, if you go to establishingshotpod.com, you can find out all you need to know about the show, where to find us on the social media platforms, where to find us podcast-wise, YouTube, uh, and you can even leave a voicemail there on the website on the right side of your screen. So click that if you want to give a comment or ask a question about the show. Uh, Just feel free to leave a voicemail. We'd be happy to feature that on the show. And also, if you just want to email rather than leave a voicemail, you can email us at establishingshotpod at gmail.com. And we would be happy to answer your question there or feature a question or comment on the show if it pertains to uh, the episodes. So please do that. And we would love for you to join the Establishing Shot family. You can, again, find where to do that on the donate page at establishingshotpod.com. We hope you have a great week and we look forward to seeing you again next time. We were happy here for a little while. But look, I think it was this way. Better to be king for a night than schmuck for a lifetime.